gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Welcome to our broadcast this evening. You know, uh, cosmic chess match. There's a cosmic chess match going on, whether people know it or not. What we're watching here in the physical, in the earthly realm, is really a reflection of the war in the heavenlies, isn't it? I believe that to be the case, folks. And we're going to be getting into that. You know, we've been talking about, oh, um... Uh, we've been talking about watchers, uh, the watchers DNA. L.A. Marzulli, uh, of course, has, uh, has come out with a new watchers 10. Go to hagmanandhagman.com, folks. Go to hagmanandhagman.com and hagmanreport.com. Click on the banner there. There's a special offer for Hagman and Hagman listeners. We have L.A. Marzulli as our guest tonight. But there's an ongoing war that's been raging in, in other dimensions that and spilling over into ours since the beginning of creation. To understand what's going on here in the earthly realm, I believe it's imperative that you understand what has been taking place in the cosmos. When I say cosmos, I'm talking about the heavenly. I'm talking about heavenlies. I'm talking about the Bible. That's what we're going to be getting in today. Welcome. I'm Doug Hagman, my son Joe Hagman. Together we are the Hagman and Hagman Report. Of course, our website's HagmanandHagman.com, HagmanReport.com as well. HagmanandHagman.com for the show. HagmanReport.com for, of course, show prep. But I direct you at this point to either site. Click on the banner to Watchers 10. And uh, you'll, you'll see. You'll see about the Nephilim hybrids. Why is this important? Well, it's important, folks, because, again, what we're seeing play out here, whether it's in the political sphere or the geopolitical sphere, is in fact related to the cosmic chess match, but related to the Watchers and about the Nephilim. We talk about the Nephilim. Yeah. You want to understand that? Absolutely, we want to understand that. And we want to understand why it's important and what has been found over the last, what? Well, over the over the last since history since the founding right. of America That's and right. um, L.A. Marzulli has great books on the trail of the Nephilim. You can get volume one, volume two, uh, on the trail of the Nephilim as well as Watchers Ten and the Nephilim Hybrids, which is uh, Watchers Ten and Nephilim Hybrids are part of the special. But yeah, yeah Watchers Ten DNA. Uh, Go to net. No, 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 no. Go to Hagman for the trailers. Right, right, right. You can watch the trailers. Of uh, that he has on there for wa- both Watchers Ten and some other information uh, about the Nephilim cover up. Well, you go there, watch the trailers, check right. them out. And just if go, you like them, go to Hagman. No, no, Hagman. just, just you, actually, you can go to HagmanHagman.com, Click on the the banner; it'll take you to lamarzilli.net. It'll take you to our page there that has the trailer on it. Should have been more clear when I explained that to you, <laughs> All right. but it's there. And it, what a deal it is! Watchers ten DNA twenty bucks Nephilim hybrids nineteen ninety nine. You get a free communion CD and a year of PPS uh, twenty four dollars value. Watchers three. 
fingerprints of the supernatural also free. What a value there. What a great value, folks. Go to hagmanhagman.com. Click on the link to, uh, to LA or Watchers 10. And then you can see the different images and also the trailer. But that's, that's right. Thank you for doing that. And, uh, I, I was referencing the cosmic chess match from the Cosmic Chess Match by L.A. Marzulli. Great, fantastic book as well. We've got such a great program lined up for you. The next two hours, we're going to be joined by L.A. Marzulli from lamarzulli.net. Again, go to, go to hagmanhagman.com or hagmanreport.com. Click on the, uh, the banner there. It takes you directly to our page, our little, uh, little page there at the lamarzulli.net that explains all of the specials, but also gives you the trailer, gives you the flavor, and tells you why it's important. Why, why all this is important? Because people say, well, wait a minute. We got, we got Hillary, we got Trump, we got civil unrest, we got this, we got that. Why is this important? Why are we talking about this? Because this is, as we have said often before, this is the key right now to what's taking place. You have to understand this so the current present situation can be placed in the proper biblical perspective. With us right now, L.A. Marzulli, lamarzulli.net. Go to hagmanhagman.com. Click on the link. And bada-bing, you're there. L.A., how are you, sir? I'm good, Doug and Joe. Thanks for having me on. Great to be here. Hey. It's about time. Yeah, um, I, I feel like saying Zug Zwang. I don't know how many people know that. That's a chess term. Since you wrote the book Cosmic Chess Match, um, <laughs> Zug Zwang is a, is a German word for, that means compulsion to move, basically when you're at a disadvantage yeah, in chess. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. I've played chess yeah. for a long time, but I am familiar with that term. Yeah, yes. so, I, I mean, that seems like where some, shall we say, some of the, um, Luciferians might be at right now wanting to uh, utter, that, uh, <laughs> utter that term. And it's because of, of work such as yours that uh, this is being disclosed. So, L.A., let's get rolling. Right, let's get right into it here. Um, what's going on? <laughs> well, you know, we, we just came out with what we think is groundbreaking material, Watchers 10 DNA, of course, the new book, Nephilim Hybrids. They're sort of companion um, offerings, although Nephilim Hybrids has chapters in it which which the, uh, the DVD does not get into. Uh, we posted a a, um, a short clip on what we call the fairy. It has gone absolutely viral. It's over a half a million hits now uh, on on our YouTube channel in eight days. Uh, it just it was picked up. The article was picked up um, by Ancient Origins. It was reposted by. Um, other papers, papers in the UK. I mean, it just, it was everywhere last week. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's really funny, guys, how, how the Monday morning quarterbacks, the wheelchair generals, just assure their constituents or, or, you know, the trolls, they'll come on and, and basically say, oh, this thing's a hoax. It's a bad. It's this. It's that. They have, how can they possibly say that? Have they seen it? I mean, have they looked at this thing? Did they try to do DNA evidence? Have they looked at the x-rays? Of course not. They haven't done any of that, but they're just like the elongated skulls in Paracas. There was a, a Christian author. I'm sure he's a really nice guy. I know who this guy is. I'm not going to mention his name on the air, you know, out, out of respect and backbiting and all this nonsense. But he wrote a, a really nasty hit piece on us, specifically on me, uh, describing, you know, the whole elongated skull phenomena down in Paracas, bonehead Nephilim. And that was, the, I think, the title of his piece. And it's very unfair because he's never been there. 
Um, he's never done any science on this thing. And we have been on this for three years on the DNA. And we have real, hardcore, solid DNA evidence, not only from one skull, but from we basically tested five out of the five, four of them. We had, we had out of the five samples, one is, is powder, which came from what is called, what we call the Oregon skull, which came out of Peru, specifically, probably in the 30s or 40s. The guy's grandfather, who was a medical doctor, had this thing in a private collection, along with several other artifacts. It was probably taken out by the good doctor's brother, who was an engineer, and traveled the world building all sorts of projects. So all we can surmise, and look, we've done due diligence. We've gone to the family and asked. Well, how did he get this? Well, we, we don't know, Eli. It's years ago. So we don't know. We have no idea how this happened. All we know is that the good doctor has it. We know it's from Peru. More than likely a museum piece because right on the forehead it's written La Oroja. And then there's some, there's some museum, what we, what we assume are some sort of identification uh, markings, strange, strange numbers, and it's all shellac. So, you know, in the 30s and in the 40s, you take something like this, the museum guy presents it to you, and you put it in your suitcase, and off you go. And no one says anything, because nobody cares. And these aren't like we're looting precious antiquities. It, it was in this guy's private collection, had been in the family literally for decades. We had access to it. We took the powder from from uh, the skull. And what I mean by that, we're working with three different DNA labs here. Two in the States, one in Canada. The two in the States will not allow us to mention their names. <laughs> a fear of ridicule? And because of, yeah, exactly. And because of what we're into. Uh, you know, God forbid we actually do real science here and go where the evidence leads us. Hmm. Isn't that the scientific method? And then, of course, we're accused by, by some of the Monday morning quarterbacks, you know, we, we have a theory and we, we rush off and we're not skeptics. Nonsense. That's the scientific method. You have a hypothesis, and then you go and you test it. And our hypothesis has been that these elongated skulls found in the Middle East came, or, or found in Paracas, came and originated originally from the Middle East. That's, that's what we believe, that they originated from the Middle East, that there was, there was a diaspora about 3,500 years ago when Joshua and Caleb attacked what is now you know, the Levant, Israel, the land of Canaan, and these Nephilim tribes ran for their lives because the mandate from a loving holy God was to wipe them all out. Men, women, and children, right. of course, genocide. It's, it's, it's maniacal. It's capricious. Unless these beings are hybrid beings that are not supposed to be there at all. And that's what we believe. The Nephilim are a hybrid being. And the Nephilim specifically is the unholy union, the offspring of the only unholy union between the fallen angels and the women of earth, creating this hybrid being known as the Nephilim. This is bizarre, but it's in Genesis 6. It's in Genesis 3. It's in Numbers 13 and the conquest of Canaan. This is precisely the chapter in the Bible that Richard Dawkins points to to prove that the God of the Old Testament is this genocidal, homicidal, maniacal, crazy guy. No! The mandate comes down because the Nephilim are there. It's a seed war. It's a cosmic chess match, as you so stated in the beginning of the show. That's what's going on. Move, counter, move, move, counter, move. So here's the deal. Mm -hmm. We get these suits from the Canadian lab. These are what they wear when they do testing. It's a full disposable bodysuit. Hairnet, mask over the face, double gloves, double arms. It's, you know, you, you slip into this thing, you got boots for your shoes, and Mondo Gonzalez, 
who was our archaeologist, and myself donned this apparel, and we took DNA from this greatly elongated skull. It's actually, if you go to the Hagman and Hagman, you know, site eventually, you'll see it right there. It, it's like right, right, the banner, well, actually you don't, but, but the banner, um, the actual cover of a DVD shows that elongated skull. And we proceeded in a way, and the geneticist told us on the camera, I mean, people were going to say, oh, it's contaminated LA. Oh, it's, uh. no, it's not. Because what we did is, is basically, you can't do it any better, except except in a sterile sterile room environment with air ducts blowing all the air and all that. That's the only way you could extract DNA that would be purer than what we extracted. And the way we did that, we turned the skull upside down. We had a Dremel tool. Remember, we're all we're we're all in this lab garb, and it's all in Watcher's Den. We make a small uh, hole in the bottom of the skull near the foramen magnum, and we'll talk about the foramen magnum a little bit later. And then we take an air, a canister of air, and blow it all out. Then we change the paper underneath um, where, where the, the sample from the skull, the powder, was falling. So now we've, right. we've blown it all out. We have a nice new sheet of paper. We take the Dremel bit, and we go in again, go into the skull. And all that is fresh powder, uncon as about as uncontaminated as you can possibly get. It falls on the paper. No one does anything. We just fold that paper up tape that paper up right up to the lab. That's it. It's exposed for probably under two minutes to the air. Now, I get that. There's a possibility of contamination even at that point, but we've reduced it by a whole lot. And even the, our geneticist, Steve Frappietro and Renee Frappietro, stated that on the record. And I'll just, so that's the first one that we did. The other four samples that we had, one of the samples, we couldn't extract any DNA. But the other three, we were able to extract DNA from. One, we unwrapped a 2,000-year-old mummy skull, baby mummy skull, in Senior Juan's Paracas History Museum. We were allowed to do that several years ago. It's in Watchers 8 when Senior Juan was alive. I mean, who gets to do that? Thank you, Joe Taylor. Thank you, Aaron Judkins. Aaron was our archaeologist at the time who came down and assisted Joe Taylor on unwrapping this artifact. Uh, I took very, a very small sample of the textiles, which, which had fallen off as we were unwrapping it. We bagged that. We had a carbon-14 dated. We know it's about 2,000 years old. So it, it's an ancient artifact, but basically towards the end of the Paracas people, who, by the way, show up in Paracas, Peru, which is right on the coast, the west coast of Peru, about 3,500 years ago, and vanish, just vanish, kind of like the Anasazi, which is a three-hour conversation, about yeah. 2,000 years ago about 2,000 years ago. So they're there for a period of time, and the, and, uh, the carbon-14 dating shows that the baby skull that we unwrapped was about 2,000 years old. Some of the hair as we were unwrapping also fell off. That was bagged and sent to the Canadian lab. Other hair was sent to another lab in the United States. So we have the powder, and we have the hair samples. Our hypothesis has been that whoever these are came from the Middle East. That's our hypothesis. We are using the scientific method to the best the best way I know how to do it. I, I don't know of any other way to do this except DNA. We have been right. careful. We have followed protocol. We have brought in experts like Mondo Gonzalez, the archaeologist, Aaron Junkins, uh, you know, another ar archaeologist. We've used 
uh, people who are accredited, like the DNA Lab, Renee Frappietro and her husband Stephen Frappietro. I mean, you know, we've got all of our ducks in line. We're doing it right by the book as best as we can. No one's handling the samples. No one's breathing over these things. It's it's in a sterile environment. When when the labs get this stuff, they have no idea what they're testing. The Canadian lab had no idea of what it was testing. The labs in the United States had no idea of what they were testing. Oh, but we have to tell them this. Otherwise, it skews the test. We have to say it's they're from mummies. It's, it's ancient DNA. You've got to tell them that because the extraction process is a little different from my understanding. So we did yes. tell them that. But that's it. They have no idea we're looking at elongated skulls that freak everybody out when they first look at them. They have no idea what they're testing. They're just scientists. You know, it's another day. Here's my sample. I'm going to try to extract DNA. I'm going to see what kind of haplogroup, which is comes from the mitochondrial DNA. Mitochondrial comes from the, the female line, from the woman, the mother side of the family. I'm going to see what you know what the data says. I'm going to write a report. I'm going to send it to Marzulli and Shaw. That's all it is. That's all we're looking at here. You know, nobody's unlike the Democratic National Committee and Debbie Wasserman Schultz. You know, just kind of moving stuff around and making sure Bernie doesn't win the election. That's not what's going on here. You know, <laughs> I have to get that in. <laughs> or Hillary's uh, emails. Oh, uh, I, I, you know, she has no idea. I did not have sex with that woman. Sure, Bill. Mm -hmm. And these people have the audacity to run for public office. But I digress. So getting back to the lab, and I could go down that rabbit hole. You guys know it. I could go right yep. down there. Yep. We'll never get back in the DNA. So here's the deal. We've got all these labs working on it. One of the labs in the States can't extract anything from their samples. I have no idea why. The other lab in the United States was able to extract mitochondrial DNA and was able to give me reports. And we have those reports, and those reports are, are published verbatim in Nephilim hybrids in the back of that book, in the appendix. There they are. You can read them for yourself. Um, the, the lab in Canada was able to extract from the powder. Now, before I tell you the results... Here's, here's what we need to know. Why is this important? Because the Darwinian theory and Darwinists claim that at the end of the last ice age, and that's disputable as the day 10, 12,000 years, whatever it is, okay, the Bering Strait, that waterway which we know now, the Bering Strait was a land bridge. And people from Asia crossed that land bridge into the New World and populated the Americas, both North America uh, Central America and South America. That's that's sacrosanct in both academia and the scientific community. That's what you are taught in school, and anybody who says anything, you know, anything else, is immediately dealt with. In fact, I have a an archaeology book here. It's sort of archaeology 101, and the guy just excoriates the idea that you know that that people put sails on boats from Egypt and and sailed over to you know, the new world before Columbus. It's just nonsense. It was all disproven a hundred years ago. Blah, blah, blah. Well, excuse me, Thor Heyerdahl did exactly that. He's the author of Contiki, which, which most people, I'm assuming, have read. But he also wrote a book that most people have not read called Ra. And Ra was another boat like Contiki. And what he did is he built a, a replica of a papyrus boat that would be about 3,000 years old put a sail on that baby, sails out the Mediterranean, and the trade winds, the trade winds take him to Barbados without doing anything, guys. 
without doing anything, he winds up in Barbados. So he showed us that this could be done. But the Darwinists won't look at that. Okay, I get that. So here we are in the lab. We have no idea what the DNA is going to come back at. And if it, you know, we're assuming, well, you know, if we're wrong, then, and the Darwinists are right, then what, what it should show us is some sort of an Asian uh, origin in the haplo group. So let's start off with the um, the hair. The hair sample shows a European ancestry, the haplogroup, a rare European mitochondrial haplogroup originating in Europe with also a percentage found in the Middle East. That's not supposed to be there. It's groundbreaking, absolutely groundbreaking. It shows us that the origin of the Paracas people are not from Asia. And Brian Forrester, our colleague, was down in uh, Brazil and talking to the locals. And there's a trail that one of the locals told him about. They're out in the bush in the middle of nowhere. And this trail is called the Cusco Trail, something like that. Cusco is in the highlands of Peru. And according to the oral tradition of the natives, and they were in a native village, people came and landed on the east coast of Brazil and they hiked upwards this trail to Cusco thousands of years ago. So, I mean, you know, people people are curious, Doug and Joe. They want to go someplace. They want to travel. And if they're being hunted down and killed, like we read about in the biblical prophetic narrative of Numbers when Joshua and Caleb were going in, and these are the Nephilim tribes, and, and, and the, the conquest of Canaan is taking place, we believe, and our hypothesis has been, that there was a diaspora of these giant tribes. And if that's the case, we should find evidence of it, and we do. So right off the bat, we've got a European origin. All this, by the way, all of it is in Watchers 10 and verbatim in the book, Nephilim hybrids, you know, go to your go to your site, hagmanandavin.com. It's right there, Watchers DNA. Click the banner. You can avail yourself of what we think is groundbreaking information. Let's go back to what we call the Oregon skull, greatly elongated. Guys, there's a picture of it. You can see it in Watchers 10. It's up, it's up on your site also. But this thing from the Brow Ridge, which is that if, if you just, if people listening to this show, just touch your eyebrows and just go up about a half an inch. That's called your Brow Ridge. Well, this skull in Oregon, unlike many of the Paraka skulls, right from the Brow Ridge, right from the Brow Ridge, this thing goes back at a 45-degree angle. There is no forehead. You know, slap your forehead, right? It goes straight up from the Brow Ridge. Not this thing. This thing goes back at a 45-degree angle. It is greatly elongated. I've shown this picture to medical doctors. There's no way you can elongate that. There's no way you can cradle headboard an infant you know, wrapping it in, in, in boards and somehow bend the forehead back? I mean, how do you do that? I mean, I get it. The kid's pliable, but you can't bend the forehead. There's no joint there. You can't do it. You'll kill the kid. It's genetic. We believe it's genetic. Here's the kicker. The powder, the powder from the DNA, or, or the DNA, the haplo group that we, we extracted DNA, it was mitochondrial DNA, and the haplo group from the greatly elongated skull that we tested in Oregon. It was T2B, which points to, drumroll please, a Syrian Mesopotamia origin, which is Nephilim Central. That's where all this started thousands and thousands of years ago. 
Guys, it's groundbreaking. It is. It's groundbreaking stuff. And it, 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 it blows away the critics, at least right now. We are desperately trying to get back down there and take multiple, multiple, multiple samples now that we know how to do it with the powder from many different skulls. And we have verbal permission from a Peruvian archaeologist we've been working with for well over almost two years now, 18 months to two years, working with this one gentleman who works at a very well-known museum in Peru. And supposedly this week he's taking all of our information, everything else, traveling to Lima to secure the permits. Once we get the permits, I bring the team down and we extract DNA, and it goes right to three different labs, and we'll tell you what the results are. So why is this important? You know, your Christians are out there is going, I don't understand why L.A. Marzulli is spending all this time and money doing this stuff, because it points back to the veracity of the biblical prophetic narrative. It points back that we were, there were intruders here that were not human. It points back to the veracity of the Genesis 6 account, in the Genesis 3 account, that the seed of a serpent will be at war and enmity with the seed of the woman. That's what it points back to. And that's huge. There is a supernatural. The seed war is ongoing. And we've got proof. We have proof that these people, and they're not really people, I call them the soulless ones, they look completely different from other human beings, in, in our opinion. And I think the skulls bear that out. The mitochondrial DNA is showing a European slash Middle Eastern origin, which is not supposed to be there. When we extract enough DNA to get nuclear DNA, that's when it's going to be telling. That's when we're. That's when you know our chickens will come home to roost. Because what we're hoping for there is that what we should see are anomalies, great anomalies. In fact, what we're hoping for is when we get the nuclear DNA, that there will be um, parts of the genome which just are aberrant, that just shouldn't be there, unknown. And that's that's our hypothesis, and I'm this telling is, you ahead of time. Man, the, L.A., this is fascinating. Every Christian should understand this knocks Darwinism out of the park. Uh, you've essentially proven, I believe, um, or at least substantiated, uh, not that it needed to be much of the Bible, but nonetheless, you make sense through your scientific research, and yes, scientific research, that the um, the Bible is provides an accurate historical account, it, details that not only account for a time long ago when heavenly beings uh, cohabitated, I guess is a interesting word with human women and produce a race of giants but details that indicate a return of those beings and a renewal of events now viewed as ancient history we're going to be right back our guest la marzulli hang hang in with us watchers 10 watchers 10 la marzulli is our guest author expert on the supernatural speaker extraordinaire now watchers 10 is out folks uh go to hagman and hagman.com click on the banner link right there it's right there or hagmanreport.com either one it'll take you right to watchers 10 dna what a great special la marzulli has put together uh for our listeners but we're talking about nephilim hybrids and we're talking about the dna his findings uh, the findings the findings 
of the DNA tests that that uh, they engage private laboratories. And you know something, folks? It's interesting because the testing was done by scientific exact scientific standards, and uh, the the uh, the results were are are amazing. But what does this all have to do with the price of uh, tea right now, as they used to say? Because it speaks to, really, it speaks to not just the presence or the existence, I should say, of a godly small g offspring back in a time referenced by the Bible, but the return from that long-gone era. L.A. Marzulli is our guest. L.A., thanks for uh, hanging with us. Man, what an incredible story, and certainly one that would would put Darwinists and uh, those people who don't want to face the truth, put them on the defensive, right? Well, you know, it does, and and, and it's certainly my pleasure to be here, guys. I mean, it's an honor to be on the Hagman Report. Every time I'm here, I just, you know, we, we have a we have a hoot. It was great to meet you guys face to face at uh, in Dallas um, a while back at the at the Hear the Watchman conference, which was uh, right. certainly a success. And it was just good hanging out and you know finally getting to meet you guys and spending some time together. It was uh, it was wonderful. Uh, it was, and yeah, it was it, really it, good. Really cool. You know, you know, I got to tell you, LA. One of the uh, one of the connections that uh, you and I, you I, you, me, and Joe were at the uh, uh, Nephilim Mounds conference in yeah. Okay, in Columbus or, or Dublin, Ohio, and that attending that conference and hearing your presentation, and then seeing the mounds made me it kind of like put everything together for me in terms of what what's really going on and and, and uh, how this relates not just to previous past uh, historical events, biblical accounts, but also the the, the present and, and and the recent past as well. So. Elliot, just go ahead, man. You got the floor. Just well, you're me, out of the park. I want to. I want to. You know, we're we're talking about um, some of these cover-ups and Nephilim hybrids. You know, the, the book and it talks about. Um, there's a chapter about, um, and I, I don't really get into that, but there there are some chapters in it which are different than than, than the DVD. That's where they go together. But in I'm a Trail of Nephilim Volume Two, and we talked about this um, uh, last time I was on the show, or a while back, anyway. And we were discussing the work that I did out on Catalina Island. Catalina Island is about 27 miles off the west coast of California, specifically right across from Los Angeles. Uh, there's ferries that go out there all the time. Uh, Wrigley, the heir of the you know Wrigley chewing gum magnet, that guy built this huge theater in the round. Um, there's movies that are shown there. It's a tourist trap. Uh, Avalon, the city of Avalon. I mean, it's a tourist trap, and you can't. You can't go outside of Avalon unless you're um, you live on the island, and and most people you know don't live on the island. So uh, every day people go over, especially in the summer. The ferries go over, I think, every couple of hours, and hundreds of people go out. And it's a tourist trap. The best time to go is in January during the rainy season, where nobody goes over there, and then it's really cool. And that's when we go over. Anyway, we got wind. I was reading this book by Jim Watson. We carry the book. It's called Mysterious Catalina. And in it, he was discussing um, this archaeologist guy who was apparently hired by the High Museum. And the High Museum was later gobbled up by the Smithsonian Institute. Hmm. This is all back at the turn of the last century, 1919, 1921. 
So it's, you know, I'm getting on 100 years here. It's old news. And Watson talked about this archaeologist by the name of Ralph Glidden, not, no relation to Glidden Paints, Ralph Glidden, who had been hired by the High Museum to conduct primitive archaeological digs on the Channel Islands. The Channel Islands go from Santa Barbara down to San Diego. It's a string of islands, San Miguel, uh, Santa Rosa, St. Nicholas, Santa Catalina. Uh, and that's, that's the one we were on. So I get wind. I, I you know, I, re I read this, read this book, Mysterious Catalina, Jim Watson. He's talking about Ralph Glidden. And in the book, he mentions that Ralph Glidden stated that he discovered nine footers, nine foot skeletons out on the island of Catalina. So I get a hold of this guy. I, you know, look him up online. Isn't it great? You know, the internet, we can, Google somebody, and there they are, you know, Jim Watson, Mysterious Catalina, contact info, click email, click, type, 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 send, you know, there it is. I mean, you go back 50 years and all that's impossible. You know, you, you just don't, nothing moves that quick. 25 years ago, nothing moves that quick. Now, within 15 minutes, I'm sending this guy an email. I think a day later, he, he emailed me back. We struck up a conversation. I took him to dinner. One thing led to another. Watson's telling me the story. Hey, L.A., are you aware that John Borgina, who at the time was the curator of the Catalina Island Museum, just discovered the lost cache of records from Ralph Glidden? These things have been missing literally for decades. He found them in the Wrigley Theater, in the attic of the Wrigley Theater. Part of the duties of the curator of the museum, at least a while back when Borgina was the curator, was to run the projectors. I guess different people took turns doing it. They would run the movie projectors in, in, in the theater. So it's movie night, Friday night, whatever. Borgina's seen the movie too many times, he's bored, and he starts rummaging around in this vast attic. Now, I've never been to the attic, but I'd love to go there just to see it. Apparently, it's pretty good size because the, the movie, I mean, the theater is actually pretty big. Anyway, Borgina is rummaging around, and he finds this trunk. It's like this is like right out of some Steven Spielberg movie, right? He finds the trunk in the corner of the attic, you know, stuff piled over it, and he, like, opens the trunk and, and starts rummaging through it, and he realizes because he's the curator of the Catalina Island Museum that these are old documents. What's more, he, he comes to the starting, realiz starting realization that these are the lost papers and photographs of Ralph Glidden. And this, this made, you know, L.A. Times news. This was like big news when it hit. And so archaeologists go out there, anthropologists go out there, um, everything is cataloged in manila envelopes, pictures are put into plastic sleeves, everything is then stuffed in the museum boxes, museum boxes are put into an air-controlled vault. I get wind of the story by Jim Watson, who tells me this. I contact in the museum. Yes, Mr. Marzulli, but no, you can't come out and look at the uh, look at the lost records. Okay. Well, how about if I bring an archaeologist with me? I'm sorry, Mr. Marzulli. Uh, you're you know blah blah blah. This went on for six months. Finally, I got wind, and Jim Watson told me that well, you know, maybe if you make a donation uh, to the new museum, they might allow an exception. So I, I once again emailed them and, and said, look, I'm willing to make a $1,000 donation to the museum if you'll allow me, uh, you know, to come back or to come to the museum and, and look at the records. And the moment I stated that, 
Mr. Marzulli, come right in. And uh, we, we grew, up, drew, drew up a very loose contract, and uh, I flew out to the island. I hired a private pilot. And the reason for this is I wanted to get into the interior of the island, which, by the way, the Conservancy owes it, and it's pristine. Many parts of it looked exactly like it, like it looked when Ralph Gooden was there in 1919. There are wild buffalo on the island. I wanted to see all that. And so I hired, chartered a plane, uh, Terry Johnson, and this guy, this guy's like a flight instructor. So I, I drive down to the airport, which is uh, near Long Beach, but it wasn't, it wasn't at Long Beach. Some, I can't remember the name of the town. Anyway, so I meet Terry, and I, I, I knew this guy before. He's a friend of a friend, brother of a friend, and he takes me out to the runway strip, and there's the plane. It's got two sets of controls. So I'm saying to myself, oh, that's pretty cool. And, and the light bulb's not going off in my head yet. So we get in the plane, and he goes, well, you're, you're going to fly. And I go, what? He goes, yeah, I'm a flight instructor. You knew that. I go, yeah. Well, there's two sets of controls. You're going to fly the plane. And I start laughing. I go, you have got to be kidding me. He goes, no. So he hands me a clipboard, and we I have no idea what I'm looking at. So he's giving me this fly by your seat of the pants you know, this is what this dial does. This is what this is. Here's the checklist. Let's go down the checklist. I've got the headphones on with the microphone. You know, where he's talking to the tower, I'm not saying a word. Uh, we, you know, we fire up the engine. We start taxiing down the runway. Guess who's taxiing down the runway? Yours truly. I have no idea what I'm doing. And you want to grab the wheel, but the wheel doesn't do anything. You've got to do it with the pedals on the floor with your feet. <laughs> and what you're doing is you're braking. When you brake with the left foot, you hold that wheel and the plane moves to the left. That's how it works. When you brake to the right, the plane moves to the right. And so, you know, yeah. I, I got, sort of got got the trick, the hang of it, and I'm jockeying. I, I mean, I couldn't believe this, right? I'm like moving the plane down the runway, and he and they okay turn. So I make the turn, and and he goes okay, I'll take off. So he takes off, and I'm just I'm like a kid in a candy store. This seems like a go kart. I've never been in a a small two seat plane like that. You know, a little Cessna training plane like that. Never. And so it just bounces along like a little go-kart, except you're in the air. And, and you don't get the sensation that you're moving. Anyway, so we're, 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 you know, out of, out of the airport. We're flying over the ocean and it's only like a 25 minute flight. And he goes, okay, take the stick. I go, what? He goes, take the stick. And so he goes, you know, when you, and he shows me what to do. So I'm flying the plane. And I go, can I dip it a little? He goes, sure. So I, I dip to the left a little, dip to the right. I'm like, I can't, I've got pictures, you know, that he took. I'm like grinning so big, I thought my face was going to break. I mean, it's just, just a blast. So, you know, we land the plane and, uh, Watson and, and his, and his friend pick me up in this ancient VW bus and we drive through the interior. We're, we're looking at Buffalo. I'm looking at the, at the lay of the land, the way Ralph Glidden must have seen it almost a hundred years ago. Nothing has changed. Wild Catalina Island. I mean, what a treat. We get to wow. the museum. We get to the museum and uh, John Borgina is there. It's like five o'clock. He ushers me into this little side room uh, off, off the main part of the museum and there are two tables, eight foot tables with paper on them, fresh white paper. And he goes, what would you like to see first? I go, well, the pictures. I set up my camera on the tripod. He goes to the vault. He opens the vault up, and he takes out museum boxes. Now, I want you to know something, guys. On the record, Borogina stated in On the Trail of a Nephilim, Volume 2, 
some of the pictures went missing. He states it on the record. Because he's the, he's the first guy that handled all this stuff. And he said some of the pictures that he saw went missing. And he has no idea why or who took them. That's a fact stated by the former curator of the museum who was fired. And we still really don't know why he was fired, but that's you know another two-hour conversation with conspiratologists, and we won't get into that. Let me take sure. a slight slurp of water here. Mm. Well, and we're talking with L.A. Marzulli. Folks, go to HagmanandHagman.com. Click on the banner. It takes you right to L.A. Marzulli's uh, page there, where, where Watchers 10 is out. Now, now, now folks, look, I don't want to. I don't want you to think that this is sounds like an infomercial, but I'm not going to defend that either. The information in here, as far as I and I've seen this. I've seen Watchers 10. It's worth every cent because it does put in perspective. Well, number one, it documents the findings. Number two, it it, it gives you a glimpse into the process of the DNA sequencing or the DNA identification and sequencing, uh, I I suppose to be precise. But it also, in, in the larger sense, it verifies, it authenticates what's in the Holy Bible. And also, it gives you... Well, remember I say past is prologue, right? It tells you, basically, it gives you a glimpse into what very well could be coming. L.A. Marzulli is our guest. Go ahead, sir. So I'm in the, I'm in the museum, and I, got, I want to see the pictures. Borgina goes in, gets the museum box out, places it on the table. I have white gloves on. My camera is next to me on a tripod. I pull. I open the box up, and all this is on Amitriel of Nephilim, too. You, you can see it. And there it is. It's like pictures, Santa, Cana, Santa Catalina Island. And I, I pull the folder out. I start looking through the folder. I'm only there for maybe an hour or two, and I'm hitting pay dirt. What I mean by that, I'm seeing elongated skulls. I'm seeing skeletons with six fingers. I'm seeing giant skeletons that shouldn't be there. The picture that I found, which basically went viral, and I was also did an appearance on the History Channels, in search of a lost giants with the VR brothers in 2015. I was on their season finale. And that picture they showed, um, and that's my intellectual property. That's my discovery. I was the right. guy that went in the archives and found that. Nobody else did. I found it. And it's, it's my intellectual property. And I have to state that because the History Channel made it look like the VR brothers found it. They didn't find it. I tipped them off and told them what I, and I foolishly will never do this again, I said, yeah, I just found something. Well, can you show me? Okay, but, yeah. you know, don't do any. And I sent them the picture like an idiot and, and trusting. Now, the Vieiras are good guys, but the History Channel massaged it so it made it look like they discovered this. Nothing could be further from the truth. So Gary Stearman, my elder brother, who I affectionately call elder brother, and, you know, we were all together, like you mentioned, at, you know, Nephilim uh, Mound oh, Street yeah. and, of course, uh, you know, some of the other prophecy conferences that we were at together, so... It's always good to hang out, but Gary said, L.A., there are people with computer programs that have programs which can take the photograph and digitize it and tell you exactly how big that skeleton is. So I put an ad up on my blog looking for someone who can do this. We had four people. Out of the four people that volunteered, three of them followed through. The fourth guy didn't, but he stated, he ex- because he didn't, he stated unequivocally that the photograph, in his opinion, was 99999 percent genuine. It was not photoshopped in any way. And and that's very telling and we needed to we needed to know that. 
The other three men took the photograph, digitized it on their programs, and knowing the height of Ralph Glidden, because Borgina did extensive research on this guy because they found the lost, you know, lost records, and that was a huge museum deal. I mean, that was the, that was the display for a year, at least a year, in in the Catalina Island Museum. So this was this was a big deal, and numerous witnesses put Ralph Glidden at about five foot eight inches, five foot eight okay. inches. Right. Okay. So we know the height of Ralph Glidden, and the picture that I discovered, which was shown on uh, In Search of a Lost Giants, and then uh, three experts digitized it and went on the record extrapolating the the size uh, of the giant skeleton that is shown in that picture. The picture shows Ralph Glidden standing in a recently excavated grave. In front of him, in situ, it's not a bone pile, in situ, is a very, very large skeleton. All of these guys, and there's no collaboration between any of them, each each person doing the research thought he was the only person working on it. When I got the results from all three, I said, "Okay, guys, surprise, surprise," and sent them all, you know, each other's emails so they could compare notes at that point. So it wasn't colored in any way, and all of them put the skeleton at just under nine feet. You okay. can't have that. That's yeah. not well, supposed well, to be there. Well, wait a second. Just under nine feet. Isn't uh, LeBron James? Uh, He's like uh, six eleven. Oh, okay. Uh, six ten. No, I, I was. That was my ill attempt at humor. But so <laughs> the significance nine feet. What are we looking at here? Just some abnormality here with respect to the no, human race? No, because no, because there was another skeleton, another picture of a skeleton that we found, which one person extrapolated, and he believed it was just again under nine feet. This skeleton had six fingers. Okay. Six fingers, plain, plain as can be. Six fingers. So all this points back to the veracity of the biblical prophetic narrative, as well as the ancient oral traditions from Native Americans, which talk about six-fingered, red-haired, cannibalistic giants um, roaming the Americas. And certainly Steve Quayle's work, you know, points to this. um, And, you know, bully for Steve. Get his books, folks, if you want to find out more. But also get mine, because we're we're plowing in the same field, but we do different things. And that's why both both tomes are just as valid. So here's the deal. Parallel investigation. I just want to point this out. Parallel investigations coming to the same conclusions. You know, you talk about uh, uh, substantiating the not just the biblical biblical account, but one investigative research project, yours, the other Steve's, uh, two luminaries in this field, substantiating one another. You you cannot make this up, and certainly this would go great in a a court setting if we if if you had a, to testify in front of in front of a uh, jury. So, perfectly said. Go ahead, sir. Um, continue. So, okay, so we have the picture. We know it's nine feet, just under nine feet. Groundbreaking stuff. Again, something we're not being told. You know, Scotty Walter, American Earth. His his opening line is, you know, the history we know is all wrong. He's right. I mean, Scotty just nails it. The history that we've been taught is all wrong, and it is. It's a managed agenda. We're not being told the truth. We're not. And anything that points back to the veracity of a supernatural is dealt with, because you can't have a supernatural. Oh, you can go to church all you want, but, you know, if the supernatural, if God starts showing up, whoa, 
Watch the elders uh, have a cow over that. They, they don't want it because it's going to rock the boat. And every demon-possessed guy within 25 miles will make a beeline to your church. Guaranteed. I've seen it. Guaranteed. Because the supernatural is sloppy. Well, what do you mean the supernatural is sloppy? Okay. Two gold coins coming out of a fish's mouth. Floating axe heads. Talking donkeys. You don't think a talking donkey is sloppy? Are you kidding me? How do you deal with that? So anyway, Richard Shaw and I want to go back to Catalina to film me there. It's now about eight months since... Amitriel of Nephilim has come out with all that evidence, all the analysis of the photograph, the photographs themselves, the elongated skulls, six-finger giants, you know, just under nine feet, all that, the pictures, my, my, my um, um, appearance on History Channel. We go out to the Catalina Island Museum. It's just Richard and I. You know, people go, well, how many people in your crew, L.A.? They don't understand. It's guerrilla filmmaking. It's Richard Shaw with a camera. That's it. And me with a microphone clipped onto my lapel of my shirt. That's it. That's it. There's, there's no, there is no crew. It's just it's guerrilla filmmaking at its best. And Richard does such an amazing job in editing and as a director. That's why the, the, the production quality of these things get better with each one. I mean, he's really got it wired. He's really an expert at what he does. So, bully for Rick. We go into the Catalina Island Museum, and there in front of us, Blown up on the wall. Remember, this little photograph I have is a 5 by 7 photograph, black and white. The photograph that's on the wall is the photograph that I discovered that was in the archives in a plastic sleeve, in a manila envelope, you know, sealed in a museum box, which was then stuffed into a vault, locked up, more than likely, never to see the light of day again. Okay? And here it is, the picture. And by this time, remember... The History Channel's already done it. My book's already been out. It's gone viral. It's all over the Internet, blah, blah, blah. There's the picture blown up, two feet wide, 18 inches high. It's huge. And there's Ralph Glidden leaning on a shovel in a recently excavated tomb. The problem is, guys, the giant, which should be in front of Ralph Glidden, in situ, lying, where everybody could see it, is no longer in the picture. The picture has been cropped. The giant has been redacted. It is no longer there. It's a deliberate obfuscation on the part of the Catalina Island Museum. Whoever told them to do it, it's completely disingenuous. Why did they do this? All of this, wait till you see it in Watcher's Den. It's just a mind blower. And we hold up. Rick goes running over with my book. We flip to the page Full page, and it's an eight, eight and a half by 11, oversized, full-color book, Amateur of Nephilim, Volume 2. And he, we hold it up in the museum underneath the picture. So here are the two pictures. What's wrong with this picture? I mean, why would they do this? And once again, anything that would point back of a supernatural is dealt with. This is a cover-up. And you know what, what drives me nuts about this, guys? This is, this is a scientific method, isn't it? I go out to the island because I have a lead. I don't know what the, whether this lead is true or not. I have no idea what I'm going to find on the island. But I do do, do you know, due diligence. I spend $1,000 of my own money and go out there and, and charter a plane and spend 10 hours in the museum going over and over and over and finding all this stuff. Every, every shred of newspaper article and journal and everything else this guy wrote, I poured over the entire collection. I find this stuff, I get it analyzed, I publish my findings. That's a scientific method. 
That's, that's how it works. And here it is. If I'm wrong, then you go take a picture of the picture and, and then give it to your people and you tell them what we're looking at. The fact that they redacted it shows us, just like, you remember the climate change summit that they were going to do? And the whole yep. thing, the emails came out, and it's like, well, we threw the evidence out because we didn't like that, and we just created new evidence that would prove that's not science. That's junk science. People, the, the skeptics will call what I do junk science. Oh, really? Well, why is it junk science? Because I take a picture and three experts extrapolate that? Because we go to DNA labs with real geneticists? That's not junk science. That's hard. That's every bit as valid as anything anybody else is doing in the scientific community. But the evidence, some people don't like where the evidence goes because it points back to the supernatural origin of the Nephilim. The giants were here. They roamed the earth. And I wish, you know, we'd have no idea what happened to the skeletons that Ralph Gooden exhumed. All we know from one entry is that they were piled on board one ship, and that ship was caught in a storm in the Channel Islands, um, in, the, in, in the channel between Catalina and Los Angeles, and promptly sank to the bottom. Interesting. It's a very, very good no, chance. And not only does it prove, you know, the biblical account of, you know, the fallen ones and the children that they bore, it proves that the Bible and the accuracy of the Bible. Sure. It proves that the Word of God is true. And, you know, the furtherment of developments and, and archaeological finds all continue to prove that the Bible is accurate. That's right. And I just want to say this. For those in, uh, for those in, in Hattiesburg, uh, Mississippi, in situ means, of course, in their original position, in a, the original position found. Just to clarify that for people in Hattiesburg. Folks, our guest, L.A. Marzuli. That's lamarzuli.net. Go to Hagman and Hagman.com. Click on the link to Watchers 10. I gotta tell you, I was absolutely blown away by Watchers 10. What a great, what a great deal. Uh, Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You know, uh, we're gonna be right back with L.A. Marzuli for another hour. Stay with us. Yeah, can't wait. Now we're talking about the, well, the pre-flood days, the existence of the Nephilim, and the not only the existence of the Nephilim, but the veracity, the accuracy of the Holy Bible researcher, author, speaker, L.A. Marzulli. L.A. Marzulli.net is our guest talking about his most recent findings, his latest project coming out, came out, it's out. Right now, Watchers 10. Go to HagmanandHagman.com. HagmanandHagman.com. And right there across the top, you're going to see the banner, Watchers 10. Click on that. Because when you go there, you're going to see the trailer for Watchers 10. You're going to see images, pictures, photographs. You're going to see all sorts of things. But most importantly, you can take advantage of the offer by L.A. Marzulli. And I would urge everyone to do this. You know, look, folks, really quick here. I don't want to take up too much time uh, of our guests, but uh, Steve Quayle got me, um, initially, uh, got me on the, uh, on the idea of giants. When I say giants, I'm talking about giants of biblical lore. And his research, outstanding. Met L.A. Marzulli. Talked with him. His research, parallel investigations. You know, 
when we have, and in the investigative realm, now I've been an investigator for 31 years. That's a long time. I think you saw me, saw me in half and count my rings, but, 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 but here's the thing. As an investigator, you look at certain aspects of, of, uh, for example, how LA has conducted his investigation. He, he walked you through the way he conducted, uh, the DNA examination at private laboratories. Now, you can't argue those. I suppose you could argue those um, if you want to be difficult, but I do suspect that the findings there, the powers that be, especially the Luciferian elite, want to keep this quiet, and L.A. is fighting the battle to expose the not just the agenda, but the history and the future of what's taking place. L.A., thanks for being part of our program tonight. I'm going to just turn it right back to you, Joe and I are. Let's hit it. <laughs> well, it, again, guys, you know, thank you so much for for having me on, and uh, uh, just the kind words that you've stated. It, it's it's nice to hear that. Um, I I want to address um, an, another. Uh, we we kind of talked about it when I first came on, but there's a a video clip that we did uh, on the on what we basically call the ferry. Uh, that's a misnomer. We don't know what to call this thing. And when when you go to, uh, you know, to you're, you're, you're not you're not being you're, you're not being like, uh, you know, yeah. When you say fairy, come on now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, when you when you when you click on your link, you can see pictures of it when you scroll down. And of course, when you see the Watchers trailer, it's like right there. But this thing is is the first picture that you see when you scroll down, and it, and it's in a jar. Um, this thing has gone viral. Uh, it's basically had over 509,000 hits, over a half a million hits now, which is just, you know, for us, that's huge. And um, a lot of controversy. Uh, again, it always amazes me how the Monday morning quarterbacks, the wheelchair generals, know everything and will tell someone, oh, it's just a bat or something like that without ever examining it, without knowing anything about it, without looking at the x-rays. Without talking to Jaime Masson, who's the man who you know who owns this thing now, I mean they do no research, but they're so so sure in, in their opinion, and that is a deadly combination of ignorance because they know nothing about the artifact and arrogance because they think they do. Deadly combination. People who are like that can never learn anything. I, I pity them. Uh, now there are such things as trolls, and you guys know this. People who will go to sites like ours, like yours, who will disparage everything that we say and, and just throw, you know, a wet blanket over it. That's what they do. They try to get people arguing amongst each other and draw the conversation away from what is going on. Here's the deal. And I'll give you guys the backstory. And I'll tell you a little bit about the artifact. And again, if you really want to see, you know, all the information, you know, pick up Watchers 10 because no matter what I say on the radio, you're not, you're not, you can't see it. You don't understand what, what it is we're talking uh, yeah, about. I'm, I'm going to second that, I, folks. I'm going to second that. This is so important. What LA is about to say is so critical. Um, and, and this artifact to me, this blew my mind, LA. When I saw this, I thought, nah, you know, and if for no other reason, I would have to watch Watchers 10. I mean, I was going to watch it anyway, but I thought, no, nah, i got to see what this is. Folks, go to HagmanHagman.com, click on the banner link to Watchers 10. The, the picture is there. For, uh, I'm looking at it. So go ahead. I just want to reaffirm its importance here. 
Thank you. So anyway, we're um, we're filming Watchers Seven, which was a special on UFOs. So you know, we're not just a one a one trick pony here. You know, we do do a lot of research, everything from the Shroud of Turin to Planet X. I mean, we are up to the Middle East updates, what's going on in the Middle East, to the dry. You know, we broke the story that the Colorado River was drying up. Now there's a a freaking special on the thing. I mean, you know, we broke that story. You know, we had this guy, uh, Native American man, uh, Andy came, came on the record with us in Watchers 9, Days of Chaos. And I, I was on your show talking about all this. And people don't get it. California is still in a major drought. It's eight years. We had less rain this year than we did the season before. So we'll see what the snowpack does because the snowpack did pretty well. But if the Colorado River dries up, it can really, really be nasty. I mean, really, really nasty. So that that's where we are. And, you know, Watchers is all over the map. We do we investigate a lot of different subjects, and that's what we do. So Watchers 7 is about UFOs. We want to um, go down and interview Jaime Masson. Jaime Masson uh, lives in Mexico City. He has the longest-running UFO show on the planet. It's been running for years. He's got well over 4 million people that tune in every week. Um, a huge staff, big crew, uh, lots of researchers, and we emailed Jaime. He allowed us to come down. We flew down to Mexico City. We get picked up by a driver, find ourselves in this beautiful hotel, which, unbeknownst to us, the president of Mexico, El Presidente, was staying at having dinner that evening. So there's all the security, all these armed guys with guns and, you know, AKs, the whole nine yards. We're going, oh, my gosh, what's going on here? Then we realized we were told that El Presidente was there, and that's why the security. Next morning, we drive to Jaime's. The driver picks us up, drives us to Jaime's. It's a nondescript four-story building in sort of a residential area. We go in. There's a, there's a receptionist there. We're told to sit on the couch. We wait. About five, ten minutes, all of a sudden, Jaime appears on the balcony on the second floor. Marzuli, Shaw, come up, come up. And so we bound up this spiral staircase, which winds its way up all four stories. And Jaime ushers us into his office, which is a very modest office. And uh, he's got all these artifacts all over the place and, you know, little little plastic UFOs and pictures and everything else. And um, he goes, guys, I've... I'm sorry, but I can't do the interview right now. I'm filming a TV show for this week. I'll be down in about an hour. In the meantime, look at this. So I've never met Jaime. Richard's met him once. I've never met Jaime. I know who he is, but I've never met him. So he leaves us alone in his office, which is crazy. But before he leaves, right, he turns around. He's behind his desk. He turns around, opens these cabinet doors above him, reaches up, and takes out this glass jar and puts it on the desk. And 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 we go, you've got to be kidding me. And he goes, look at this. And then he runs out of the room, waving goodbye. I mean, it's just like, what? And Richard and I are looking at this thing in the jar, and I'm looking at him, and I'm going, my jaw's on the ground. And, and I'm going, I mean, do you think it's real? And he looks at me like, I don't know. And the first thing that popped into my head, Doug and Joe, the first thing, Revelation 9, the winged creatures that come up out of the abyss, and they had a stinger, like the stinger of a scorpion, in their tails, and they had wings and teeth like a lion and hair like a woman. While it did not have hair on it, 
it did have teeth like a lion. It was about 9 to 12 inches tall. It had wings, and it had a stinger like a scorpion. It's the first I'm thing I thought of when I saw that. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I did. No, That's the no. first thing I thought of when I saw amazing. that. I thought, you know, Bible, sting like a scorpion, there it is. But go on, sir. We were, I mean, we were just, just completely blown away. I mean, it's like, what do you do with this? What do we do with this? And I'm actually blowing it up on, on your on your private link just to look at it while I'm talking about it. And, you know, this thing has been sitting in formaldehyde for a number of years, so to prevent it from decomposing. But, um, you know, that also messed with the DNA, and we'll get into that in a little bit. So we were allowed to take samples of this thing, but the samples were confiscated when we went through TSA. And they were the size of a, maybe a quarter of an inch, you know, by a quarter of an inch, they were little small samples. And, you know, the goons at TSA confiscated this thing, even though we had Jaime Masson on the phone telling them what it was, they wouldn't let him take us through. So we were able to do other samples, which we did test, but because the sample was immersed in formaldehyde, they were not able to extract DNA. We sent them to two different labs. However, one of the labs, once we told them what it was and what it was, that it was submerged in formaldehyde, stated that there's a process that they can use to deconstruct some of that contamination from the formaldehyde, and that might be a, they might be able to, uh, at that point, do it an, an extraction, a DNA extraction from this thing. But we don't know. I mean, that's it's we just don't know. So here we are, we're looking at this thing at Jaime Masson's. And Dr. Richard Rangel comes in, who's a geneticist. And he's on, he appears on film um, three years ago when we first saw this thing. And also recently when, once again, they took it out, we took DNA samples and they were brought into the States. Very small DNA samples from this thing. And Richard comes in on the record Basically, you know, his name is Ricardo. Ricardo comes in on the record, basically staying, stating that um, there's a skeletal structure, that this thing is real, that they don't know really what it is, but it's real. And you know, look, I, I'm skeptical, guys. I mean, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, people, some people accuse me of, of like, you know, running after these things. Well, if, I mean, if, if you see something like this, you you run after to try to prove it one way or the other. That's what you run towards, and and you need to do that, and that's important. And we sat on this thing for three years. We sat on it for three years because Jaime said you can't run with it. So Rick said, we're doing this thing, Watchers 10. Can we run with the ferry now? And Jaime said, yes. Jaime comes up to Los Angeles. We take him out to dinner. Jaime sends us the x-rays of the creature. Now, the day that we were there, the day that we were there, they had set up, before they even knew we were coming, to take the creature out and do x-rays of it. We can't even believe our luck. So they, we're there, and Ricardo, you know, Rangel, Dr. Rangel takes this thing out. They, they wrap it. They put the thing in a, in a box. They get the thing x-rayed. We are there when they bring back the original x-rays. We see the original x-rays. I am holding one as we speak in my hands. I wish I could show it to you. And there, there's two profiles, a side profile and a frontal view and I wish they had turned it all the way around they should have done all sides of this thing but they didn't they didn't have the 
um, the, just the, the common sense to do that, whatever. And we're looking at this thing, and, you know, okay, there's a skeletal structure. But I don't know what I'm looking at. I mean, it's not like I look at x-rays every day. I've looked at a few of them, but I don't know what I'm looking at. And I can't ascertain whether it's real or not. I'm perplexed by what I'm looking at. So in the x-rays, there are these spherical round hot spots. What I mean by that, um, a radiograph, an x-ray, shows the denser an object is, the denser the skull would be, would be would come up uh, much brighter, all white. And the, the bones in the legs appear to be hollow, like a bird's legs. The bones in the arms, the rest of the skeletal structure appears to be hollow, except even the pelvic girdle, which is where everything connects to, appears to be somewhat hollow. There are two hot spots, major hot spots. One is up on the top of the skull, which makes sense because that holds the brain of this creature. The other is where the wings attach. And think about it. You have muscles, which a human being obviously does not have. And, you know, we have shoulder blades. But these wings and these, this muscular system would have to attach to something. So that was really telling to us. And, you know, but we didn't know what we were looking at. So the radiograph, the x-rays are showing these little white balls and they're asymmetrically placed throughout the creature and you know at first because we're interviewing Jaime and they're all into UFOs right and they're all into implants and that whole thing you know one of the guys well maybe they're implants well, well okay maybe they are we don't know and we sit on this thing for three years so I asked Jaime to send me the x-rays and I go to a veterinarian who will not allow me to film him. Surprise, surprise. Um, many people do not want to come on the record. They'll come on in an audio version, but they don't want their picture taken. They don't want their name stated. We have to disguise their voices, this type of stuff. And um, that's how this veterinarian was. So uh, the veterinarian did come on the record in an audio clip. I had the entire conversation there. And the, and the conversation goes something like this. Because I'm leaning towards hoax. Because I don't know what these white balls are, and maybe this is how they put this thing together, right? But I don't know. I don't know what I'm looking at. And and Richard's perplexed by the white dots. Jaime is absolutely perplexed by the white dots. We all are. We don't know what we don't know what these things are. We don't know what we're looking at. So I take the X-rays and I show it um, to the veterinarian. He's immediately taken aback. And he goes, wow, you know, the bones remind me of what we see in chicken bones. They're hollow. And if this thing flies, and he goes, this thing did fly, well, that, it has wings. We assume it does. He says, well, that would make sense that the bones are hollow, like a chicken. Okay. So that's interesting. My first question basically was, did, you know, did this thing, um, where, where, where you're looking at the wings, and, and and the bones and the skeletal structure of this thing. Is it a composite? Is it a composite? And, you know, he looked at this thing and he was, you know, he was like, he was, he was bothered by it. And he sort of, you know, laughed, laughed nervously. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the transcript. 
So I'm going to go L.A. and the vet. So here's my question. We're looking at the wing structure, where the wings actually attach themselves to the creature. Can you speak to that, please? The vet. Yes, I'm looking at the x-rays, the radio-opaque structure that the wings attach to. They appear to be some sort of bone, and it looks like the bones that hold the wings together are fused very nicely to whatever that structure is. I assume it's a bone. It looks like they're fused in there naturally as opposed to someone slopping it together. The only problem is that it's almost too uh, rayed opaque. It doesn't match up with the other radio density of the other bones, L.A. Yes, but wouldn't having a creature like this with the wings protruding from the back, wouldn't there have to be some kind of anchoring in a skeletal structure? Wouldn't the bone be thicker there? The vet. Yes, it's very plausible. Could be if this is a flying creature, L.A., which it is. Vet. For example, chickens, birds are going to have a lot less radio density in their other bones, in their legs, and those bones are more hollow compared to, say, mammal bones. So these bones up here that hold the wings could be a little more thick in radio density because it needs more stability to keep the wings attached. Just unbelievable stuff. I mean, I mean, I, I got to pinch myself here, guys, because you know no one's ever done this. I mean, come on. This is my next question. L.A., in your opinion, looking at the pictures and x-rays we've been looking at, could this be some sort of a composite based on four or five different animals? Look at the face and the teeth, the ears. What are your thoughts? The vet. If it is, it's a very good composite, a very, very good composite. Someone very professional put this thing together. I mean, just the way the bones. I can see the joints. I can see where the ribs lead into the sternum. I can see the femur going into the hip. For someone to put this together would require a lot of work. L.A. And for what reason? No one makes. No one's making money off this thing. It's not on the cover of a National Enquirer or something, selling millions of papers. It's not the case here. This thing has been in formaldehyde for at least three or four years. The vet. I suppose anything's possible. If it's a fake, someone put a lot of work into this to put this together. I can't think of an animal that you could add stuff onto. Very odd. L.A. Very unsettling. When we saw it, we were speechless. Vet. Whatever this thing is trying to hold this fracture together in the tibia and the leg, for someone to think ahead of time, how would you know where the fracture was? unless you were some sort of medical professional. The x-ray, guys, shows a... I'm off the record here. The x-ray shows a break in the leg. And there's this white dot thing which is smeared out. And then the vet goes, how did you get that stuff that's holding that fracture together under the skin? It's not an easy job. L.A. How would you do that? The vet. Yeah, that's not an easy job to do, to get that under the skin, even though it's not in the right spot. L.A. It's a classic gar gargoyle. I think it's evil, to say the least. Again, when we saw it, it was unsettling. Look at the way the wings are attached. I mean, anatomically, it's very proportional, isn't it? Vet, yes. I don't see the teeth in the back of the jaw. L.A., what would be your takeaway? The vet. Here's the pay dirt. From the medical standpoint, these are real bones, real joints, and real x-rays. The question is, what kind of animal is it? And if it is a fake, what animals did they use to put this together? It would be a very professional job if it was a fake. You need to get a forensic pathologist because I'm just looking at some x-rays. They look like, but they look like real x-rays to me. It, the x-rays right now are at a forensic pathologist. And if anyone's listening who is a forensic pathologist, please email me, la at lamarzulli.net, la at lamarzulli.net, because the one forensic pathologist that we had contact to has not answered my emails. LA, closing thoughts, vet. 
I'm perplexed about these round objects in the x-ray. L.A. We are too. Any idea of what that might be? Vet. Now, I'm going to tell you guys something here. And, you know, I'm spilling the beans to you. I'm spilling the beans to you here. But, again, you're not looking at the thing. You can't see the picture. You, you got to get the video. And go to Hagman and Hagman because they get 40% of the proceeds. That helps them out, helps us out, keeps us in the field, keeps us making watchers. Okay, L.A. We are, too. Any idea of what these round objects might be? Vet. Perhaps someone shot it with a BB gun, and that's how it died. L.A. So you think these round things are metal? Vet. They look like metal. If I had to guess, metal objects, round like this, I've seen this before in animals. It's pretty clear. BBs. It could be buckshot, a shotgun, buckshot. Someone mistook it for a bird of sh or something. L.A. You should hear me on the audio go, ah, that's interesting. Buckshot, birdshot. That would really make a, long, a lot of sense. The vet. It's a faraway shot. L.A. Yes. Wow. Interesting. The vet. Now, now we start putting two and two together. The shot may have broke, broken the bone in the leg. I say to him, thanks for coming on the record. He says, thanks, nice to meet you. Here's the update, guys. While we were in Colorado, while we were in Colorado at the Prophecy Watchers Conference, two hunters came up to me. They took the x-rays. They asked me, how big was this thing? I said, 9 to 10 inches tall. Both of them. Two different hunters, two different times at the table. Looking at the x-rays, they said, first of all, L.A., this is number seven, birdshot. It's not buckshot, it's birdshot. Number seven, birdshot. Both of them said that. And this thing was killed 50 to 75 feet away. Someone blasted it out of the sky. When we heard this, and you guys got to understand this, we were completely taken aback by this. Because not only does it clear up what the round thing is, what these round hot spots are in the x-ray, it really begins to point to the fact that somebody shot it down and that the creature is not a composite, it's not a hoax, it's real. And in some ways, guys, it's more troubling than anything. And I got to tell you, when Richard Shaw and I were working on this piece, before I talked to the vet, before I had the x-rays, we were right down to releasing this thing. I'm, I'm telling you the truth. We, we had, Richard was done. I'm not doing any more, no more shooting. I've got to get this thing. We're on a deadline. That's it. It's over. I go, Rick, let me just take it down to the vet. So the veterinarian was supposed to meet us on Saturday, and at the last minute he cancels. So now it's Saturday, Sunday. We shoot Sunday, and that's it. We're done. Rick's holed up in his studio. He's editing. We're, we're, we'll never make a deadline. I can't do this. I go, I got to go talk to the vet. Monday I go down there. The vet apologizes for breaking his appointment, and I have this interview, which is groundbreaking, which clears up what the hot spots are in the x-ray. They're birdshot. Somebody shot the thing. Up till that point in time, we weren't sure, and we were both leaning towards a hoax. We didn't know. We didn't, you know, and either way, we were just going to present the evidence to the people and let people decide. But the moment we found out it was birdshot, that tipped the scales. And then Richard and I both looked at each other and said, you know, I think it's real. I, I really believe it's real, especially when the vet's going, guys, this, is, this isn't a composite here. I'm looking at it. This is not a composite. 
and the bird shot and the broken leg. The, the, the bird shot broke the leg. You can't make this stuff up. You can't make it up. Look, obviously more, more testing needs to be done. That's why we're on the trail. That's why we're trying to get the creature brought out of Mexico so we can get extensive DNA testing, take it to different forensic pathologists, have them look at the thing. We're on the trail, guys. It's hard scientific evidence. Why is this interesting? Because no one's ever seen anything like this. It's the stuff of nightmares. It's the stuff of legends. It's the stuff that we read about in the biblical prophetic narrative, specifically Revelation chapter 9, which talks about these winged creatures coming up out of the abyss. Absolutely, L.A. And after uh, this break, we're going to get more into that on the other side, as well as um, what where you're going to go from here uh, with Watchers 10. Folks, go to HagmanandHagman.com. Click on the link to L.A. Marzulli's Watchers 10. You can get the special deal on HagmanandHagman.com. Only the Hagman and Hagman listeners, Joe. Oh, thank yeah. you, L.A. Thank you for that. Really. We really appreciate that. Uh, it's uh, The bonus is, guys... The bonuses are only for your listeners. You can't get them at my site. So people want to try to do an end run, try all you want. You won't get a year's free subscription to our monthly news magazine. It comes as an email, PDF email, in your inbox. The communion CD, which has been, it's actually being used in a play. People were using it and playing it at the Colorado Prop- Prophecy Conference. We've had nothing but positive feedback there. And, of course, Watchers 3, Fingerprints of the Supernatural. I mean, it's a $93 offer. There you go. All right, hold hold it right there, brother. Hold it right there. We'll be right back. And we're talking with L.A. Marzulli. L.A. Marzulli.net. But go to Hagman and Hagman.com. That's Hagman and Hagman.com or HagmanReport.com. Check on the top right there. There's a banner. Takes you right to L.A. Marzulli's website where, where you can get Watchers 10. In a very special deal, actually. Watchers 10 DNA. The Nephilim Hybrids, the Communion CD, and a year's subscription to the magazine, Watchers Three Fingerprints of the Supernatural, as well, all for not a hundred dollars. No, 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 nope, nope. That's just the value. For, just, just for Hackman listeners, under forty dollars. And having seen, read, viewed, yes, all of this, folks, I will tell you. It's important. If you want to understand biblical history, the scripture, the overlay of scripture, and if you want a glimpse, and I think most of us do, um, when they say our men's hearts will fail them for, uh, what they see, you know, it, 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 this is the, as LA said, this is the stuff nightmares are made of. Specifically, what LA was talking about earlier, and and I was going to ask you, LA, we're joined by the way, folks, LA Marzuli, LA Marzuli dot net, uh, but again, Hagman dot com for that special. Uh, LA, I want to ask you something. Um, the uh, you had talked about some, essentially, some hollow uh, areas in that that fairy that, that you called it, the winged sure. creature. Okay, right. now would that be explained? Through the degradation of the tissue and organs, I mean, because we don't know, you don't know really exactly with any degree of, uh, we don't know how old this is, right? I mean, there, there's no age, we don't know how old, or is that the right way to ask that question? We don't know when this creature existed alive, right? Or do we? Well. We, we do know this, that the, the, the provenance behind it is this, that 
a number of years ago, and I might be wrong with the date, so don't don't hold me accountable here. I think it's like 11 years ago. Could be wrong in that, but I, I think if I'm correct, it's like 11 years ago. Okay. Um, it was brought to Jaime Masson. A 13-year-old boy was riding in a car with his family. They were driving from, I guess, Guadalajara to Mexico City, and the kid had to go outside and relieve himself, and he did. And when he was finished, he looked down on the ground, and there on the side of the road was this creature. And he took it, and, um, you know, they wrapped it up, and they they brought it to Jaime. And I've got a picture. Um, I'm assuming, you know, again, I've got to talk to Jaime about when the picture was taken. It appears to have been taken uh, very shortly after Jaime got it. And uh, that's very, very interesting. Uh and that's the provenance behind it. So, but okay. All right. we don't yeah. know anything about it other than that. Uh, okay, but, but we the 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 uh, hollow aspect of this, given that length of time, eleven years plus, give or take, whatever, um, be because a living creature through the uh, uh, through the uh, well, just through its its breakdown, essentially. Would that account for the, the the hollow aspect? Do you think? I mean, would this, I, I guess ultimately my question would be: Is this, in your estimation, without giving away too much here, uh, does it have human attributes, thoracic, abdomen, that kind of thing? Um, yeah, it does. I mean, it okay. looks right. it looks like a human, but it's not a human, and it's only nine right. inches tall. And right. I mean, I don't know what it is. I I, yeah. I can't tell you what it is. Uh, I, I my name for it is the wing nightmare. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, and that's I mean, it, it's just it's just not Winnie the Pooh. I mean, it's just not. It's it's very very troubling looking at it. What bothers me, I guess, more than anything, is that we as Christians, notice I say we as Christians, yes, we sit in our churches week after week. And we in the four walls, and it's very comfortable, and it's nice, nice and safe place to sit, at least for right now. Of course, I'm going to I'm going to digress here for a second. Of course, if you live in France and you happen to be Catholic, uh, you know you never know what may happen because two jihadists may come in and round up your priest and behead them in front of everyone. So um, you know, of course, that can't happen here. And anybody who says so is an Islamophobe and a xenophobe. So we should just shut up and uh, and vote for Hillary. Nonsense. Nonsense! It's coming here, and the fact that what they did at the DNC by putting up Khan, uh, this this little weasel, and I, look, oh. I, I agree with the guy's son. I mean, I get it. Okay, I really do. That's the ultimate price. But you know, it's not. We don't see Christians doing this. Christians aren't running around beheading people. Uh, no other people on the planet. It's the radical Islamists. It's the radical jihadists that are doing it. And the only politician. And I, I got to say this because elections are, you know, 60 days away or whatever is coming up. Well, whatever it is, it's it's a couple of months away. You know, November is coming like a freaking freight train. And if you don't get off your butt and vote for Trump, Hillary will get in. And if Hillary gets in, this country is toast, in my opinion. Absolute toast, in my opinion. Trump will clean house. And that's the whole point. Trump is the only candidate who's calling the jihadis what they are and saying, you know, maybe we should uh, start monitoring the mosque a little bit. And we need to do that because we know that some of the imams in these mosques are radicalized, greatly radicalized. Newt Gingrich went on the record just recently and stated that anybody who holds to Sharia should be deported. You know what? 
Oh, he's an Islamophobe. Oh, we can't have that. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, that's exactly what we need to do. Because Sharia will always trump the Constitution. And that, my friends, is un-American. If you want Sharia law, move to Saudi Arabia. If you want Sharia law, move to Iran. You know, go there. But you can't come here and expect us to kowtow and, and you know, and, 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 and diminutive status and, and embrace Sharia. Because we don't want it here. Most Americans don't want Sharia law. We, we want the law that our founding fathers put into place based on our Constitution. That's what we want. But I digress. Digression is good at times. And, and you're right. You're right. I, I, what else can we say? You, you know, we as Christians have not fulfilled our obligations as Christians or duties as Christians. Not at all relate to the game. And we really need to start because now we're in a place really backed into a corner when yeah, we are. the we are. powers that be and the mainstream media, whether yep. it's the TV, press, and, and film, uh, have the ability to psychologically and socially uh, program and manipulate and condition each and everyone's mind to the truth that they say is the truth or, or the facts they say are the truth. And we have just a dumbed-down population that believes what they're told. You know, Joe, let me... L.A., can I ask you a question that's kind of out of left field? And, Joe, uh, this is relevant to to, to all this. Are we looking at... Do you believe, for example, the people in the highest echelons of government know your research, know about these, uh, well... What, what I'm looking at here in, the, in, in this jar, the nine-inch, ten-inch fairy, um, know about the Nephilim. I mean, I, I know the answer to that, but we have a lot of new listeners. And if so, are they, are they hiding? I mean, what's what's going on here? How do they? How do the powers that be fit in to your research, for example? Well, let, let's hope that they don't fit into my research. Um, <laughs> you know, in, in, in the nineties. You know, people that that delved into this stuff uh, didn't last too long. They the reason why I'm alive because they don't care. They know nobody really cares. I have a I have a small following of people. I'm influencing maybe a few thousand people. That's it. Now this this new video went viral and we influenced you know a half a million people. That's that's something. Uh, the one of the videos that we did on Sid Roth has over 1.5 million downloads. That's something. But we're certainly not interviewing millions, and they just realize that the vast majority of people are asleep, which brings me back to the point that I got lost on the political rabbit trail down and couldn't find my way out of the rabbit trail. But now I remember, and it's this. We sit in our churches, and that's when I went down the hold, which are safe for the, for the time being. But don't hold your breath, folks. Trust me. Don't hold your breath. Okay? And I already went down that rabbit hole, so I'm not going to reiterate and pound a, you know, beat a dead horse here. But it, it's, it's coming here. It's already been in San Bernardino. It was already at, you know, the, 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 just the nightclubs and, and, and Boston bombing and, and every place else. And it ain't going to go away. Trust me. The bottom line is this. We read supernatural events every Sunday. That, that's what we're, you know, in most churches, we hear about the supernatural. Mary, the virgin birth. A floating axe head, a talking donkey, two gold coins that appear out of the mouths of a fish, a staff that is thrown down and becomes a serpent, men that walk on water, water that's changed to wine. 
water that stands up as a heap and allow millions of people to walk through it on dry land, parting of the Red Sea. And on and on and on it goes. Yet, yet, when faced with the supernatural in modernity, many people shy away from it, won't look at it, get uncomfortable with it, um, rail against it. And yet, what do you do with the fairy? What do you do with this winged nightmare? What do we do when it echoes what we read about verbatim in Revelation 9? And I, I get it. It doesn't have long hair like a woman. A, I get that. But everything else sort of fits, in my opinion. In my opinion. And, you know, there's only one of these things. All I know is that I'm a biblical literalist. And when the Bible tells me that the abyss is opened up and out of this thing come these creatures like this, I pay attention. That's literal. And that begs the question, when are they created? Who's creating them and why? You see, I mean, do we really think the Most High God is creating these things? Of course he's not. It comes from the abyss. And who's locked in the abyss? Who's chained? Who's going to be chained in the abyss? And who's down there now? It's Hell's Kitchen. And it's being cooked up in Hell's Kitchen, to use a term that Russ Dizdar taught me. It's Hell's Kitchen. You don't think that it, today, modern science has the ability to take certain genes from different animals and splice them into human beings? Of course they do. They're already doing it. They're already doing it. Guaranteed they're already doing it. Satan is a super scientist. You don't think he's creating these things, these monsters, just like he did with the Nephilim through his seed, which was sperma in Genesis 6? How do we know what's going on? Somebody is creating these things that come up out of the abuso, up out of the abyss. They're there, and they just don't happen overnight. Could it be... Could it be that the creature that was found 11 years ago are in fact like a prototype of these things? Not the final result yet, but a prototype? You see, I don't know. And that's why, you know, we have two choices. We can dismiss it, be closed-minded, be Monday morning quarterback, wheelchair generals, and pretend we know everything, arrogance and ignorance, or we can stand with wide-eyed wonder like little children and realize that we don't know doodly squat but we stay on the trail and we pray to a most high God most holy God and he brings this stuff to us that's how it comes we're not out here looking for it like we talked about the Afghan giant we're not out there looking you know to, to prove or disprove Steve Quell's story it came to Richard Shaw that's how, it, that's how that whole story came you know we didn't we're not trying to do anything the shooter came to us. You know, we didn't we didn't go seeking the shooter. And he comes on the record and it was a you know a startling, absolutely a, a startling interview. So that's why we're on the trail, that's why we produce the watches series, that's why we write the books that we write, that's why we're down in Paracas, that's why we're collecting DNA evidence, that's why they we're trying to get the ferry into the United States to get it to a forensic pathologist. That's why we're on the trail. That's why we have archaeological digs going on uh, in undisclosed locations where, where, where we work with archaeologists to try to uncover what we know is laying there somewhere. We've just got to get lucky and find one of these undisturbed uh, graves 
that have a nine or ten or twelve footer. That's why we 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 test the Nephilim lands, which is an armature of a Nephilim volume two. Also, we show it in Watchers ten when I present this to one of the shooters who who knocked down that that twelve foot giant in the Afghan cave. I mean that that's why we do what we do because it points back to the veracity of the biblical prophetic narrative. Amen, my brother. And, and, and you do it very well. Watchers ten and. Well, and the body of work behind it. I mean, man, it's you've done, you've written many books. You've done so much in this uh, field of study. Books. Yeah, you speak at conferences all across the country. Yeah, you have your own radio show each Thursday night, Acceleration right. Radio. And folks, you can find that uh, information on his website, lamarzuli.net. Yep. Um, where are you going from here, LA? I mean, what's next? What are you, what are you gonna take? Um, well, well, no, 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 don't be too specific because, you know, small planes, they have mechanical failures and we don't want you to be, uh, we want, you know, we want you around, brother. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Big planes have mechanical failures too. But, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, we got conferences coming up. Our next place is up in Saskatchewan in Canada, uh, up at a church up there. Uh, then here are the Watchmen in, in Knoxville. We're very excited by that. Uh, hope to see everybody there at Knoxville. We've invited once again to Chuck Missler's uh, Quinnia House. Uh, we're really excited by that because that's you know Chuck, I cut my teeth on Chuck Missler uh, 36 years ago. His program 6640, which I listen to faithfully every day, uh, and I received a the gold medallion award from Chuck Missler and Quinnia House K House two years ago when I spoke. I think I'm speaking actually two or three times at the conference this year, so I'm really excited by that. And, um, you know, more information will be, be coming. But, uh, yeah, you know, we're, we're excited by, by all the speaking. And, uh, you know, we, we've got a weekly TV program now called PPS Report, ppsreport.com. It's also on the YouTube channel, L.A. Marzuli. We just posted a brand-new 28-minute program specifically on the ferry. It's up on the YouTube um, I'm on a, on a YouTube channel, and we've already had, in less than uh, 24 hours, less than 24 hours, about 19,000 views. So, Beautiful. you know, we're excited by that. The one that went viral is now at 513,000 views. So, you know, folks, go to ppsreport.com. Uh, you can, you know, check out the latest or go to L.A. Marzulli, my YouTube account, L.A. Marzulli. But our TV show is, uh, we're, we're going to be filming a, a new episode this week on Watchers 10, so... You know, keep stay tuned, folks, and um, you know more well, and more information is is forthcoming. What's the one thing about? No, I I have my own feeling about this, but having watched Watchers Ten, what's the one thing um, about that that you're you're most proud of, or that sets it aside from the other others that lead up to Watchers Ten? I'm just curious think, as to how you did. Yeah, that. it's really hard to pin down, but for me, it's the DNA because it's like yep. years and years of research with our hypotheses, uh, in you know, stated years ago that there was a diaspora from the Levant, and yep. lo and behold, that's where these skulls come from. They originate. They have an Eastern European or um, origin or a Middle Eastern origin, which is precisely what we would be, were hoping for. There it is. That's radical, guys. I mean, it really is. It's radical. 
Radical yeah, I, I thought so too. And, and you, you know, I immediately thought, and you've probably seen the commercials on television, Ancestry.com, I believe is the website. Send your DNA in, and we could tell you where you're, you know, where you're from, basically, where where your parents are from, your lineage. Yeah, I thought I was German until I sent my DNA to Ancestry, only to learn I was Scottish. Yeah, or whatever. Um, but we're, <laughs> but but I, the, I'm glad you said that because I you you've been assailed publicly. Uh, about sure. the DNA research, oh, sure. and and I and I look at this, and, and those people making you know the uh, uh, well is assailing the the DNA um, testing, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, um, their premises, uh, I believe their premise are, is is wrong, is incorrect. But uh, watching Watchers Ten, I think you really hit it out of the park with respect to the DNA, and I think it's all about the DNA. It's all about the seed, isn't it? In the end. It is. In the end, it, it, it echoes back to the Genesis 3 biblical narrative, which tells us the seed of a serpent will be at enmity with the seed of the woman. And we can yeah. tap dance around that all we want and tell us it really isn't sperma, but that's what it is. And we know that the seed of the woman becomes Messiah thousands of years later. And the seed of the serpent manifests three chapters later in Genesis 6. And then, and also afterwards, when the sons of God saw the daughters of men and and took wives. Their offspring were the Nephilim. And that was written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years after the flood. It's being dictated by Most High God Himself to Moses on Mount Sinai. And why wouldn't He just say the Nephilim were on the earth in those days? He doesn't need to say, and also afterwards. doesn't need to say that. But we know that we know who's in the land in the promised land. We know who was in Sodom and Gomorrah. We know the five kings that Abraham goes against. And we know that Nimrod becomes Gaborim. It's the work of Tom Horn. Hats off to you, Tom. Becomes mm -hmm. Gaborim through ritualistic sex magic. There you go. There you go. We've had a couple of listeners since you've been on here in this segment asking, how is it possible, L.A.? And, and I know I've... In fact, I've asked this question to you. In fact, I think I asked this question to you in Dublin. Uh, Joe and I did uh, uh, when we were there. But a couple of listeners want to know, how is it possible that we have Nephilim walking the earth post-flood? Um, is, is there an easy way to answer that? Yeah, it's it, extremely easy. It's just, as a second, I just said, a second, third incursion. I don't understand why people have a trouble understanding it. The seed of a serpent will be at enmity with the seed of the woman. There's no caveat there that, oh, okay. after the flood, it's going to stop. It's not there. In fact, what we see is the Nephilim are all throughout the Bible. And the seed of a serpent culminates in the anti-Messiah, the Antichrist. That's who it is. That's, he doesn't go to any Antichrist school. Well, you know, Ed, you've been doing a really great job. We're going to vote you in as the Antichrist. <laughs> He's the son of perdition. It's literally the seed of a serpent. But because some people have just this truncated view of a supernatural, we dumb it down. And that's why the, the winged creature can't be there. Or we can't have Nephilim roaming the earth. Look, the giant in the cave, guys, a 12-footer, okay? It, it, it corroborates Steve Quayle's research. Hats off to you, Steve. It corroborates his research. It's unbelievable. The fact that the shooter, the shooter's, blew the guy's face off, and this thing hits the ground. We don't know how old it was. What if it's 2,000 years old or 3,000 years old? We don't know. You see where I'm going with this? Oh, I yeah. Mean, we don't know where it traveled from. 
to get to Kandahar. But Afghanistan is not that far from Nephilim Central. And you go back a thousand years ago, come on. And, and, and we don't know the extents the, uh, the, uh, or how, how far that cave system goes back. It wasn't explored. True. The soldiers didn't explore it. Are there others? See where I'm going? It's terrifying Got in it. some ways. Got it. Well, uh, wow, what a fantastic... Uh, these segments just flew by. This mm-hmm. this uh, time that we had visiting with you just flew by. Uh, what great information. Watchers 10, now released. Go to hagmanandhagman.com. Click on the link. It takes you directly to Watchers 10, the website, LA's website. And there, t- take advantage of this fantastic deal, folks. Please support LA's research. Take advantage of this deal. You won't be sorry. I can, I can, we, both Joe and I, and Eric the Tech actually, uh, sat together and watched Watchers 10. It's very well worth it. Ellie, God bless you. Uh, thank you so much for being a part of our program tonight. Really, really hit a home run tonight, I believe. Well, thanks, guys, and uh, really appreciate you having me on. And I, all I can tell you is, you know, we're on the trail. This is what we do. Watchers 10 of a new book, Nephilim Hybrids, is just, I think it's got vital information. It'll wake your, you up. It'll wake your friends up. And it points back to the biblical prophetic narrative. We have people, and I'll just end with this, we have people constantly telling us, how our books and DVDs um, have brought them back to the Lord, have strengthened their faith, faith has, has cleared up uh, segments of the Bible that they didn't understand before. So, you know, that to me is, is the highest praise I could possibly get. Yeah, that's, and, and there it is. That's what it's all about in the end. That's what it's all about. LA, Amen thank to that. you so much. And, and uh, folks, it's uh, you, your, your partner's, uh, well, uh, I don't want to give too much away, but you've got a, a great uh, engagement tonight, uh, which is why we've got to let you go. And I want to just wish uh, birthday wishes on on the individual, and uh, <laughs> uh, 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 I'll just leave it at that. But uh, have a great dinner, have a great time tonight, and thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. God bless you guys for what you do. You truly are watchmen extraordinaire on the wall. Thank you for your, allowing me on your platform. I really appreciate it. And, and so does Richard. All right. God bless, sir. Thanks, L.A. That's yeah. Take Folks, that, that was L.A. Marzulli. What a great... Uh, the the research in Watchers 10. Fantastic. The whole Watchers series yeah. and the whole On the Trail of the Nephilim. This book here, On the Trail of the Nephilim, Volume 2, yeah. was reading you know before the show, and it gets into new archaeological research. I mean, this book is littered with not only uh, great content but it also uh the the pictures the photographic evidence charts and graphs you know um uh, comparisons everything you need to to know to understand from the biblical account to what has happened in historical record and what's in between both and you will not be disappointed with watchers 10 uh or any of the books that LA has put yeah, together. I, I really like uh, we got that in Florida. Yeah, about a, what a year ago? Um, yeah, I guess so. A year or two ago. Um, I, I, rem- so. I remember uh, standing at the table outside of the, in the conference there, and um, LA's wife. 
Yes, yes, yes. You were yes, going yes. to buy it, and she said, no, you, you take this, you take this. Yeah, and, and you know what, what got me on the back of this book? Why are our children listening to music that calls for aliens to have sex with them? Yeah. Why are the bands naming themselves after fallen ones? I, I mean... And you and me watch the videos, the music videos, where not only do the lyrics depict the intercourse between, uh, you know, demons and humans, but the actual visuals do the same thing. Uh, which makes it even more disturbing and disgusting as we continue down this black rabbit hole of immorality we have in this earth that we live on. And we're going to get into, in the third hour, oh, um, stay with us. A, a few things. We're going to get into some hot headlines. <laughs> and uh, we've got to watch this. Yeah, as we uh, are reformatting our show. Uh, for maximum efficient like it? content. We like it. We're going to be right back. Stay right where you're at. The Hagman and Hagman Report, Doug and Joe Hagman, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team, bringing you news that you're not going to hear elsewhere, information you're not going to hear elsewhere. Just so proud to be a part of your day. You know, uh, Joe and I were talking today, and Eric, the tech, and JD, having a staff meeting, that's our staff. We don't have, we don't have tens of hundreds of people. No, no. We have a very small staff, very efficient staff. And I, I, I do want to thank Eric the Tech and, of course, J.D., but Eric the Tech for uh, providing such valuable services to us. Of course, he's running the cameras, running the, the brakes, running the running the, the, the starship over there in his little cockpit. I want to uh, – Eric, I don't know if you've got the uh, the file I, I – I sent to you, uh, ready to be queued up on, on visuals, but just want to say that last week, Joe and I had the distinct honor, distinct pleasure of spending really a, a, a two days, but when I say two days, spending some time with Pastor Paul Begley and his wife Heidi. We had such a great time, and we taped um, a couple of episodes of The Coming Apocalypse, which is airing now this Friday. Folks, this Friday on channel 367 Direct TV, as well as numerous stations all across the country, millions of viewers had a great time doing it. And uh, uh, of course, uh, this coming Friday, check your local listings. If you're if you have Direct TV channel 367, check your nine local o'clock listings. 367. Yeah, Eastern nine o'clock, nine Eastern. o'clock Eastern. Right, but check to see what time. And then the following Friday. Um, so it's it's going to be great. We had, we had such a great time with Pastor Paul Begley and his wife. Folks, let me tell you something. His wife wrote a book, Finding My Father. Now, I was so touched by that book. I mean, I was really touched by that book. Oh, you um, know, I, I I got that book, and I uh, I bought it for my wife uh-huh, and uh-huh. had uh, Paul's wife, Heidi, uh, personalize it, uh-huh. and I left it. In the car on our way back. So I've I got think it's it. in your book. No, I've got it in my okay. in my in my bag. Um, I just want to. Th- this is a personal message to all all of you who went out 
of your way on Thursday last week to come to Indianapolis. There were people there from five states. We met each and every one of you that we met in the studio audience. I, I was just just humbled by I, I, you folks are the great. I mean, our audience is the greatest. And, and I'm going to tell you something. The people that we met there, I just want to say thank you for coming. Thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule. Um, a couple of and it's a wonderful opportunity to speak with a couple of people uh, at length, and um, just such a nice, nice woman there that that I had a chance to spend some time with, uh, talking to, and 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 her, um, her situation, and and it was just great. In fact, I I was able to sign, uh, sign my book as well, uh, personalize my book to to a number of people, and which, by the way, if, folks, if you want a copy of Stained by Blood, which is my personal investigative report. Feel uh, I do have, I brought I brought some books back from Indianapolis, so I do have a new, shall I say, a new shipment here on the shelf. So if a you'd new like surplus. To, yeah, yeah, a new surplus, I guess. Um, all you have to do is go to stainedbyblood.com. If you want me to personalize it to you, go to stainedbyblood.com on the right-hand side, on the upper right-hand side. Of course, you'll see a little area and uh, you can get the the book that way. You don't have to, but I'm just saying. And, of course, it's available on, on Amazon as well, uh, in hard copy as well as Kindle. So uh, good stuff coming there. Now, now, okay, folks, gather around. Gather around. Pay attention because this is cool. Guess who's coming on our show tomorrow? Guess, guess, guess. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Guess. Steve Quayle. Steve Quayle and Ross Powell tomorrow night on our show. Now, now. Here's I got a favor to ask everyone listening. If you're listening live or watching live, I got a favor. Let's do this. Let's blow Steve Quayle's mind. Okay. Guess what tomorrow is? It's Steve Quayle's birthday. So let's blow his mind. Everyone, just send an email to Steve Quayle wishing him a happy birthday. Don't don't tell him where you heard it. Don't tell him where you heard it. Make them wonder. How do they know? How do mm. they know? But no, seriously, uh, you can go ahead and say it doesn't matter. But, but wish Steve Quayle a very happy birthday. He's coming on tomorrow with Ross Powell. They're going to Ross Powell is going to talk about the state of the economy, especially the uh, uh, the TPP with respect to the uh, uh, how things are going, and and then put it in the context of the American elections. So that's what. Uh, that's what's that's what's on tap for tomorrow night. Hour number two, hour three is going to be Stan Dale. So don't miss tomorrow night to be sure. Now, so and don't forget, you go, go to stevequail.com, uh, click on the link to email him and wish him a happy birthday. You can you can start tonight. Just let's flood his inbox with with birthday wishes. And he's gonna be like, well, where'd this come from? Because he's a private person, so let's just blow his mind and and, and make him uh, and and wish him uh, a happy birthday. Uh, so I, I wanted to mention that, and uh, of course on the nineteenth we have Jim Mars coming. He's going to be on our program on the nineteenth. Yeah. That's going to be an exciting program, um, and a few other things I wanted to mention. Oh, you had made reference, Joe, to a, a new format. We are segmenting our show up a little bit differently. It's going to be a faster paced program, but you know what? 
more things, more information, more just a wide array of guests. Mm-hmm. But it's because, I mean, the improvements, I, I believe, uh, we are so thankful. I, I was really going through some uh, snail mail today. And, of course, we love getting snail mail. We really do. And, uh, and by the way, the, the people who ask for books in the snail mail, they're on their way, sent today. So just want to let you know. Uh, but, but, you, but you know what? The best audience in the world, and I want to thank you all. We could not be where we're at without you. And I just want to, just a heartfelt thank you. And any chance that we have, Indianapolis was, was just a, just a wonderful time. Any chance that we're able to make a commitment like that. Oh, it's just so great to meet people. Yeah. And we got more stuff in the works and, yeah. um, just good things coming down the pike. And good as my things. dad said, it was all possible thanks to our, uh, fantastic audience that we have. Yes. And we can't thank you enough for your support for your prayers, uh, spreading the word about our show, yes. and all that you do uh, to make the Hagman and Hagman Report what it is. Oh, that was, i got to tell you this story. That was that was great because, um, you know, I, I like I like to wear snazzy suspenders, right? I was in the hotel, <laughs> okay, um, with suits on. Anyway, I, I, in, in, in Indianapolis, excuse me, uh, in, the, in the lobby of the hotel, a guy comes up to me. He says, you're Doug, you're Doug Hag-, or he said, no, you're Joe Hagman, thinking that I yeah. was the, I said, no, I'm Doug Hagman. And, uh, we talked for a few minutes, a few seconds, and I, I said, are, are you here for the uh, television show? He said, what television show? I'm just traveling, just passing through. It, it's really weird to be like, you know, that happened to us twice. Yeah. Uh, the morning of the show, I got approached. Uh, we both did. We were sitting at a table. Oh, that's right. That's right. And the gentleman said, uh, you're Joe Hagman. Yeah. And he said, that's Doug Hagman. And, uh, we asked him, are you, you know, are you here for the, for the taping of the TV show? And he said, I didn't even know you guys were doing a TV show. Yeah. I just wanted to come over and say hi. Which it's kind of, uh, humbling and, and, you know, flattering at the same time. Exactly. And, and the reason that, that we mentioned this is not because, you know, oh, what was us, but, or how great we are. Uh, yeah, we're rock stars. But no, <laughs> no. The reason we mention this is because I really believe at this point we can make a difference in what we're doing. We can make a difference. If we've got that reach, we also have the responsibility, that responsibility to make a difference in people's lives, educate people, inform, inspire, and there, there you have it. Let's get into some, let's get into some news and headlines. What do you think? Hot headlines, as they're called. I'm doing a hard restart on my computer here. So you're going to have to to help me along. But from memory, I got uh, a number of of important headlines (laughs) to get into. Okay, there we go. There was a... You want to do that over? Should we do a retake of that? that, What did I miss? All right. What did I miss? Just wait for my cue. All right, now, we're going to redo this over again. See, he's a a hard... I miss Apparently. He doesn't listen. Well, you, I got, you have I got teenagers issues over got here. Teenagers, they don't listen. All right, folks, we're going to get into some news and hot headlines right now. <laughs> what am I? <laughs> there you go. You got to wait for the prompt. Oh. <laughs> All right, now now you're good. Now you're good. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for bearing with us, uh, bearing with me through. Uh, Understanding our new format, I forgot that, uh, 
the beautiful clips that Eric had put together. Look at that. See? Those graphics. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Now, we got a number of things to get into today. Um, there is a lot going on. Uh, if you look at the front of the Drudge Report, they're talking about safe spaces, safe zones for illegal immigrants. That's right. Now, my question is, isn't the whole continent or country of North America, or at least America, a safe zone for an immigrant at this point? Some places are safer than others, I suppose. For illegals, you know, you've got uh, you've got the sanctuary cities, of course. You've got the uh, well, you know, that's a good question, though. And you know, interestingly enough, some information that's come out today about Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House. Um, there is more than a presidential election going on in November. Absolutely, there will be many House and Senate seats that will be up for re-election. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Paul Ryan's seat in Wisconsin is one of those uh, areas where there will be a vote and it will determine whether Paul Ryan stays in office as Speaker of the House yep. or is outed by his opponent, Paul Nealon. You know, and this is so important because what we're seeing here, ladies and gentlemen, is uh, nothing more than a uh, a wrestling match of the globalists mm-hmm. wanting to retain control of the power base that they have and the people who are upsetting that apple cart of the globalists. And you know all of this, but now are we not being able... Joe, uh, the globalists are being identified, not just the globalist politicians, but you know what? The globalists like uh, the pundits, like Bill Crystal, for example, and Carl Rove, Mm-hmm. And the people that appear on these panels across across Fox News or MSNBC or CNN or whatever the panel might be, they're identifying themselves. Now we can see who they are. They are they they are trying to retain power and influence. Yeah, and uh, I heard this on Russ Russ's show before ours. He mentioned the uh, how globalization is out in the open more so now than it ever has been in the past. There was a time. Uh, when me and my dad, just before we started doing the radio show, when we yes. were getting into all the research, where the term uh, globalization or new world order meant you were some kind of, uh, you know, uh, conspiracy theorist, government-hating, uh, you know, nut job, uh, and a possibly domestic terrorist. But now <laughs> it is, yeah. you know, Trump is terrible because he's a nationalist, and we are entering a globalist one world system which Hillary Clinton and the progressive movement or the satanic elite are behind you know I didn't tell you this um, maybe maybe I know you were in the office early as was Eric and just working their fingers right to the bone show them the bone oh yeah Stumpy's yeah. over here uh, <laughs> but but uh, I didn't tell you this uh, Judy McLeod the founder of Canada Free Press and I were talking and she said you know this election, and she's, she lives in Canada, but she knows more about, and I truly believe she knows more about American, the, yep. the American political system than most Americans. Gina McLeod and I were talking, and she says, look, the election is going to be, it is our, it has been rigged mm-hmm. against Trump. Trump and, came out and said as much today. And that's, I was getting into that. Uh, he's afraid that, that the general election in November is, will be rigged, but he didn't elaborate. 
on the comment that he made at the uh, at the Ohio rally uh, this afternoon. Uh, he said he said this. I'm afraid the election is going to be rigged. I have to be honest, and, and of course, the way we see it, and, and I know you feel the same way. And Eric, pipe in anytime you want to pipe in. But I do believe when you think back at the 2016 cover of the Economist magazine, okay, I do believe the globalists and in the economist magazine said as much they want hillary in there it's got to be a globalist and wasn't she the only one not to be in in she was the only one in color she was the only one not to be in black and white she was the the only one on the cover no no she like trump wasn't on the cover um yeah yeah in fact we'll put the picture up for those watching on youtube and i can understand trump not being on the cover as, because, as we know now from the hacked emails from the Democratic National yes. Committee, that Hillary Clinton and her nomination for the Democratic uh, for the Democratic nomination of president was predetermined before that uh, Economist magazine came out. Go, go ahead and put the cover up for those watching on YouTube. Take a look at this picture. Um, okay. Uh, you'll, then the next picture you see on, on YouTube will be the cover of The Economist magazine 2016. Every year they have, what really, what really got me is I paid nearly 50, well, with tax over $15 for a copy of a magazine. Wow. Okay. Um, it, it, I really had to, uh, justify that. I mean, we, we justify every penny we spend, but that was like, my goodness. Uh, anyway, but, that uh it's it's interesting because we know the globalist joe we know that they telegraph what their intention intentions are uh, yes through, they do through publications the uh the publications the music the tv they yep. all do what what is called uh predictive programming they condition you they tell you what's going to happen tomorrow in a way that doesn't come out and say as much yeah and we've talked about this you know going back and watching certain TV shows, you notice certain things, and I mentioned how in The Office, I think it was the second episode that they yes. ever had, the the guy who took over for the da- John Stewart of The Daily Show, Larry, uh, the comedian uh, Larry uh, Summers, maybe? Yep. Uh, no, 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 not Larry no, 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 uh, Larry, um, yeah, but he anyway. did the Diversity Day training, yep. and I mean, a lot of it c- coincided with the timing of him taking over The Daily Show and the violence due to diversity. And racism through diversity, um, and little things like that. And you know, Hillary Clinton, uh, from even movies like Deep Impact, when they yes. projected a, an African American president yep. at a time of peril in the country, you know, when everything was at stake. Um, and and they have these little, uh, from subliminal messages to these uh, covert sy- symbolic messages. Now, if people you understand that languages are really just based on symbols used to convey uh, messages. That's what all language was based on, really. Oh, sure. Yeah. At least in the in the occult, in the, in the Gnostic uh, sense, in the secret societies, from the, the Freemasons and the satanic elitists from back in ancient Egypt. They used right. symbols to convey messages, not words to one another. So unless you know those symbols, which really none of us do, we have an idea of some of them. I mean, yes. we know that the obelisks are, uh, we know what those stand for. Okay, folks watching on YouTube, 
the cover of the Economist magazine. Thank you, Eric. The tech, it's up there. Take a look. Who's missing? Who's not missing? Take a look. And, and, and there it is. The, the Economist magazine has been long been regarded as, well, that's obviously the magazine of the globalists, but, um, long been regarded as the, the conveyance by which the future, especially in the political arena, will be foretold. Now, Eric, I know you had a hard time finding that picture. Do you have the picture of the calendar, the insert? It's a two-page spread that we can put up. Okay, take a look at this, because now, knowing what we know now and having experienced, what, seven, eight, we're on our eighth month of 2016, take a look at this next image and see how that uh, relates to the geopolitical landscape that we've gone through. And uh, just give me a thumbs up when it's up. Before we get any further, Joe, I'm going to ask you this. You're aware, Joe, right, of the uh, of the issue of Khazir Khan, the Muslim gold star father. Okay, now, from what I understand, that, right? what happened was uh, Patricia Summit, the mother of the, the Benghazi soldier. Smith. Oh, I'm Patricia. sorry, Patricia Smith. She spoke at the RNC. Correct. Now, uh, from Chris Matthews saying she ruined... Uh, the night uh, with her speaking uh, to the GQ writer who said yes. that he wanted to kill her, basically, uh, to it was, it was Joy Bayer of The View saying, oh, you know, that was such an unclassy move of Donald Trump. Hillary Clinton will never bring out victims and, and have their parents speak there and, yeah, and have a sympathy story. Exactly. Yeah. Now we come, Kazir Khan, the Muslim yep. gold star father. And, and our hearts, and seriously, anyone killed on behalf of their country or in battle, you, you know, our hearts go out to their, the, the victims, of course, the families. But, but here's the problem here. You've got a Muslim soldier, um, his parents standing up criticizing Donald Trump. Uh, but, but you can hear that story anywhere. I don't know how many people have heard the story. No, mind you, obviously Donald Trump had nothing to do with anything their son had to do with. Correct. But that's not the story. Right. See, the story behind the story, taking perhaps a closer look. Hmm. Let's take a closer look. You don't have a program. <laughs> that's okay. Did you notice that... Pause there. See, we're, we're ch- come on, Eric. That's number two on the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, anyway, you guys are going to have to get used to this. Uh... Okay, yeah. there we go. So, so the center of the Economist is up, but I, I want to just get back to Kizer Khan, the Muslim gold star father, for a moment here, and uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, been um, uh, criticizing Donald Trump. Well. It turns out that Khan has extremely deep ties to the government of Saudi Arabia and to, well, international Islamist investors through his own law firm. In addition to those ties to the wealthy Islamic nation, Khan also has ties to controversial immigration programs that wealthy foreigners can use to essentially buy their way into the United States. And, 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 wait for it. He's got deep ties to the Clinton 
cash narrative through the Clinton Foundation. I'm telling you folks, the Clinton Foundation is the epicenter, is the, is the monetary engine to which globalism and the one world, new world order will be brought into play. You know what I learned about the Clinton Foundation today <clears throat> was, uh, listening to, to when I, I, we got here early today because we had a staff meeting and some other things we had to do. Yes, we did. And I forgot uh, my suit coat and I left that home after, um, the week taken home. He shows up in his pajamas. <laughs> no, I just forgot my suit coat. So I had to go home. So I'm on my way back to the studio. I'm listening to, to Sean Hannity. And he made a great point that the disclosure amounts of money that foreign governments say that they give to the Clinton Foundation, the Clinton, all the Clinton Foundation has to do, and this is the example I heard, that Saudi Arabia contributed $25 million or more to the Clinton Foundation. Now they could have donated a billion dollars, but all the Clinton Foundation has to do is write a minimum amount. It's $25 million. Wait a second. Or more. When you say, oh, oh, oh. You, you, they don't okay. have to say if it was a billion dollars. Right, they only have right, to say right. if it was $25 million or more. Which explains why that Peter, uh, uh, Schweitzer's, uh, Schweitzer's? I, I, I can't remember. Clinton, uh, the, the movie about the, uh, uh, Clinton Foundation. My notes are in my office. I can't. The new movie? Yeah, the Clinton Cash, I believe it is. In the book, or I should say, there, there's a video in a book, um, by Peter. I watched a movie Swift. on YouTube over the weekend, the Hillary Clinton movie, Banned from Theaters. Um, don't know, it, it seems a little bit older. Yeah, but. but regardless, you're, you're right, because they give this wide amount. For example, they'll say anywhere between 1 million and then it'll jump up to, to 12 million. And you're thinking, how does, how does that work? But this is what you're saying. They only have to report that minimum, the foundation. And, and then, of right. course, it could be much more. And the, the higher amount is the product of investigative research by the author or by the investigative uh, journalist. So I, okay, there you've got it. And, and back to the Khan family. Sure. Um, Patricia Smith was interviewed uh, on CNN and um the segment on CNN GOP leaders rip trump for clash with muslim family and this article from the washington examiner goes on to explain how the mother of an american killed in the terrorist attack in benghazi libya said she was treated like dirt by democratic presidential nominee hillary clinton about the death of her son i was Ooh. treated like dirt i don't think the khan family was treated that way but I was treated like dirt. I was called a liar, Patricia Smith said in an interview with uh, Brooke Baldwin on CNN. So was Charlie. Look, Charlie Strange, uh, Patricia Smith and Charlie Strange, different circumstances. Charlie Strange from Extortion 17, his son, Gold Star Father, um, Michael Strange Foundation. But uh, he grabbed Obama by the lapel, by the lapels. Um, and Charlie Strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you've got you've got the the very people, the parents of the victims, the parents. I mean, imagine losing your your son or your daughter in in Benghazi or Extortion Seventeen, or in Afghanistan or in battle anywhere. My goodness, a parent bearing a child. Yeah. And, and then, but but the, for these people to have the audacity to lie about 
the circumstances surrounding the death of their children to me would be intolerable and I hope ladies and when gentlemen, they knew the truth yes. I mean when they intentionally yes. lying when they knew the truth right and that's exactly what happened they knew it was a terrorist attack they came out and said it was the video's fault when it was not and we you know we Joe and I had the video well we had all the information about it we did hang right in there with us folks ISIS is a fully-fledged insurgency, not merely a group, a terrorist group like Al-Qaeda was. ISIS, of course, the product of Western intelligence, the product of Obama, the product of Hillary Rodham Clinton, their policies they made, they created, they, they set up the creation of ISIS, now taking hold all across Europe, the Middle East, North Africa, and now coming into or already here into the United States. ISIS is the richest non-state threat group in modern history. They have successfully declared the caliphate after 90 years, 90 years absence. And it is growing, ladies and gentlemen. They've successfully recruiting and are recruiting from the U.S. at a far, far greater rate than Al-Qaeda. Now, Al-Qaeda arrests arrests average about 1.5 per month roughly in the in the period from 2001 through 2014 but from mid March 2014 to mid November 2015 4.1 ISIS arrests made per month folks they are they have been essentially funded by created by and trained by American intelligence. But what's happening in the world as we take a step back and look all around and, and see now, wait a minute, the Vatican religious leaders and others want to, or are, are forcing us to be of like mind. There are many ways to heaven according to, according to many popular preachers and ministers that's wrong just just to be clear that's wrong there's only one way and that's through jesus christ we're going to take a closer look behind the veil so the pope has come out and said that islam is not terrorism this gets into the interfaith movement as well as the political correctness that has taken over the church as the church continues to conform to the world and the world of political correctness over the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, hmm. Aboard the papal plane, Pope Francis said Sunday that Islam could not be equated with terrorism and warned Europe was pushing its young into the hands of extremists. Now, when they said extremists, they weren't talking about the 
migrants or immigrants that have been coming to the Europe alien invasion? Com- no. committing terror attacks, they're talking about the nationalist parents who say that terrorism and Islam is bad. They're talking about xenophobia. They're talking about us. What the Pope said is, it's not true, and it's not correct to say that Islam is terrorist, is terrorism. He told journalists, uh, I don't think it's right to equate them with violence. Francis defended wow. the decision not to name Islam when condemning the brutal jihadist murder of a Catholic priest in France in the latest of a sting of recent attacks in Europe claimed by the Islamic State. Jesus wept. In almost every religion, there is always a small group of fundamentalists. We have them too, he said. And in something that uh, Alex Jones and his staff were was, was really taken to task for, in what they said were Christian extremists, they were making a point that well, the extreme right, right. that was taken out of context. The extreme right. Christians stand out there with signs and billboards, and and go out on the street and preach the gospel. Joe, yeah, l- l- let me say this: if I want to, if I as a Christian feel it's right, it is proper, it is correct to stand outside of an abortion house, a killing house of unborn children, in, in an effort to change the mind, perhaps, of someone uh, of a young girl walking into that 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 murder facility, I, I will do so proudly. But yet, I'm the extremist. Right. Well, in the according eyes of, them. of, well, not according to Infowars. See, I think, like you said, that was taken out of context. But according to the public and the public right. correctness, right. yes, yes, you are the extremist. Right. Now, as again, Francis said, there's every, in every religion, there's a small group of fundamentalists. Um, it goes on to say that uh, you know you can kill with a tongue as well as with a knife, and that is very true. That's one point I do agree with. But to come out and say that you cannot tie Islam to terrorism is nothing more than a bold-faced lie and it is a further step of the integration between Islam, Judaism and Christianity. And and see that's the ultimate pl- please folks never and we're going to come back to this. Forget. Yes. Never forget the ultimate objective here is to combine well uh, let me back up. It's to eradicate the mono, three monotheistic religions, mm-hmm. Christianity, and, and Islam, so and Judaism. With Christianity through promoting a, a different Jesus and a different gospel, and using that different Jesus and gospel to unite with Islam and Judaism. And, and that's why whenever you see those coexist signs, mm-hmm. bumper stickers, that is a programming tool to get you to believe that all of these religions can coexist. No, when I say religions, all of these spiritual ideologies can coexist. No, no. Well, can they coexist? Perhaps, but they're not one and the same. They can coexist. They're not supposed to exist to merge. Correct. That's the better way of saying it. So look at this the objective here, and and I'm afraid this is being accomplished. Uh, uh, it is. It, we are seeing the, the 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 this state religion being formed by the merging of 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 Christianity, of Islam, and Judaism. We are seeing it being merged. 
and into a state religion. And those people who dare pray in the name of Jesus, dare read the red lettering of the Bible, they will be the extremists sent to re-education camps or killed. Or, or, you know, whatever else, whatever else, other punishment there might be. Yeah. And you've got, you know, see, the, no, the, the got, Pope's already moving to that end. Right. Now, now uh, as far as the Pope saying that Islam is not, you can't relate that to violence, uh, how about this? In uh, Ali Hammond's, or I'm sorry, Hamanda. Hamanda. An like imam Hamanda. at a mosque where ISIS fighters worship says, Yes, boys, you can have sex slaves. Outrage as British Muslim cleric <laughs> at mosque where Cardiff jihadis were radicalized, tells teenagers that captives are permissible under Islam in vile sermon. Uh, like ISIS propaganda, he told young boys that the day of judgment is close, and he went on to preach that they are allowed to have sex slaves, as well as other uh, yes. just horrible things. But remember, this is the, re- the religion of peace, even according to the Pope. Doesn't that but it gets I mean, it gets just, worse? Yeah, it gets worse. There's another story that came out earlier this last or later this in the last week from Breitbart.com. Yep, world's first lesbian bishop calls for church to remove crosses to install Muslim prayer space. The bishop of Stockholm has proposed a church in her diocese remove all signs of the cross and put down markings showing the direction to Mecca for the benefit of Muslim worshipers. Now, folks, this isn't a Catholic institution in hmm. Stockholm. This is the Bishop of Stockholm. Think about this now. Ava Braun, <laughs> who was made the world's first openly lesbian bishop by the Church of Sweden in '09, Interesting name. And has a young son with her wife and fellow lesbian priest made the suggestion to make those of other faiths more welcome. In comes inner faith. And my question is, when does uh, Satanism become part of the inner faith? Oh, oh, it's already, <laughs> you know, l- l- uh, hey, hang on, hold on a second, hold on. Uh, you l- got to l- be l- kidding. <laughs> oh, no, 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 I, I just got this. Hey, hang on, I just got this. L- let me see, l- let me, okay. I just said that tongue-in-cheek. Oh, man, no, 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 hold on a second. Um... Hold on. All right, well, you're looking for that. Oh, this yeah, you got to go ahead and insisted, continue. Uh, she said, calling Muslim guests to the church, uh, calling them angels, uh, when Muslim guests come to the church, the bishop took to her official blog to explain that removing Christian symbols from the church and preparing the building for Muslim prayer doesn't make a priest less a defender of the faith. Rather, to do any less would make one stingy towards people of other faith. Did you catch, did you hear that? Calling Muslim guests of the church angels, the bishop took her to her official blog to explain that removing Christian symbols from the church and preparing the building for Muslim prayer does not make a priest a less defender of the faith. Rather, to do any less would make one stingy toward people of other faith. The bishop okay. insisted this wasn't an issue. After all, airports and hospitals already had multi-faith prayer rooms and had converted dockyard churches um, 
into interfaith uh, uh, buildings or sanctuaries. Now, uh, it goes on from here to explain that the uh, fight within the uh, different dioceses, um, there, some of the other diocese bishops are saying that this is theologically unthinkable when asked what was to be done with the crucifixes screwed to the walls and heavy items such as baptismal uh, fonts taken down um, a lot of a lot of bishops and priests here were, are not happy the upper echelons of the church of Sweden much like the other national churches across Europe seem to be fully invested in the diversity mission back in February a parish church in multicultural paradise Malamo declared it would be holding a service in solidarity solidarity with local Muslim communities as protests against a march by anti-Islamization movement uh, happened in the city I got it here by the way Okay. during the protest Swedish church is going to hold a service where we express joy for our city and for our Muslim friends this is all part of the interfaith movement and uh this is i mean the story goes on folks you can go to breitbart out of london and and read it there the title again is world's first lesbian bishop calls for church to remove all crosses to install muslim prayer space now could it be any more of an oxymoron world's first woman lesbian bishop calls for the church to remove all christian symbols to install muslim ones folks we we've got we yeah we've got to look at this as a war, all-out war against Christianity. It's a religious war. It's a it's a war on the spiritual plane, but it's a cultural war, and it's a war that will be bloody. It's going to be bloody. But Joe, when you mentioned about Satanism and being uh, part of the interfaith movement, yes, <laughs> yes. Listen to this, folks. I don't know how many people caught this, and I want to thank Maria Canis, the author of. Uh, prepare for persecution and other books go to uh amazon and, and look at prepare for uh did i say prosecute prepare for persecution maria canise the author but she sent this an after school satan club it could be coming to your child's elementary school yes even in utah now the author of this is Catherine stewart she was writing this for the salt lake city uh uh, Salt Lake Tribune, I'm sorry, and it appeared in the Washington Post this past weekend. Well, as it turns out, now, now, now listen, uh, Salem, Massachusetts, it's a hot summer night. Leaders of the Satanic Temple have gathered in the crimson-walled living room of a Victorian manse in the city renowned for witch trials in the 17th century, right? They're watching sepia toned video in which children dance around a maypole you know what a maypole is as and a, a spider crawls across a clown's face in eerie ambient chanting which gives away to backward demonic voiceover the group chuckles with approval now listen to this they're here plotting to bring their wisdom to the nation's public elementary school children they point out that Christian evangelical groups They've already infiltrated, and that's the word they use, the lives of American children uh, through after-school religious programming. Oh, in public schools. So now they want their 10 minutes, or actually longer than that. And it's critical, they say, that 
children understand there are multiple perspectives, multiple ideologies, and Satanism is part of it, and it's okay. It's normal, just like heteros or homosexuality is normal. Yeah. Just like pedophilia is normal. Mm-hmm. Satanism, it's a belief, and it's a coming to your school. Your it children's is. school, that is. It is. It's going to be part of the curriculum and teaching. Well, Christianity has and can, will continue to be banned and removed. It, it, now, back to Pope yeah, Francis. Go, go on, go on. He spoke at uh, in Poland at a um, uh, young people, uh, what do they call it here? Um, it was a young a gathering, a, the Youth Day, the World Youth Day. Um, organizers of the Catholic Jamboree, known as World Youth Day, estimated 1.5 million youths attended a mass um, in Poland. Now, Pope Francis told young people who flocked to this uh, youth day to believe in a new humanity, <laughs> one that is stronger than evil. Wow. Now, we're definitely going to get into this because what he goes on to say, uh, which is which is very uh, eye-opening, is, is a number of things. And, and here's where we're going to start. He says, uh, it says this in the article, Extremist violence was on his mind when he set out last week. The day after, extremists rushed into a church in the French court side, countryside and murdered the elderly priest by slitting his throat as he was celebrating Mass. And, and you know, after that happened, first of all, he's, just to be clear on, on the, uh, on the brutality of this, number one, the, the, the guy that actually wielded the knife, there were two, uh, a minimum of two at least that we know of, but the, the but the young man that wielded the knife uh, smiled at the elderly, older, I shouldn't say elderly, older nuns there, made one of the attendees videotape the the slitting of this priest's throat, and then afterwards stood up on the altar and preached Islam in Arabic. They just stood there? I mean, well, they were being held captive. Didn't the guy just have a knife? No, 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 no. The, 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 oh, the, the okay, perpetrator okay. did. So, but, but see, you're not going to hear a lot of this on the mainstream media because it's not it's not cool to be talking about this. And this is how the censorship begins. And and the programs like ours, programs like like um, uh, Rick Wiles and 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 Dave Hodges and and. I mean, you name it. We're being censored. We can't. You have to understand. Uh, Google AdSense, uh, Google YouTube. Uh, uh, these search engines are censoring our programs. Anytime you mention Christianity, anytime you mention Islam, anytime you mention anything about the Antichrist, we're being censored. But see, you can't talk like this. I'm sorry. Go on. No, um, so the Pope at this World Youth Day, uh, mentioned, uh, as it says here, extremism was on his mind as he, uh, talked about the, the priest that was beheaded while celebrating a mass. Um, flying back to Rome Sunday night, he was asked by reporters why he never used the word Islam when denouncing terrorist attacks. Now we covered this, but I'm going to go over it again. Yes, please. Uh, Francis said he thinks it's not right to identify Islam with violence. He added every religion has its group of fundamentalists and uh, referring to ISIS, also known as Islamic State Group, Francis said it presents itself 
with its violent identity card, but it's not Islam. It is Islam. <laughs> it's the Islamic and, State. Yes, and and and, and Turkey Erdogan uh, has has said as much. Why aren't we believing when 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 a Muslim gets up and says this is Islam? Why not believe them? Now the Pope went on to say, he says, God said Francis demands of us real courage, the courage to be more powerful than evil, by loving everyone, even our enemies. That's right. Now I will agree we're supposed to love our enemies. But we're not supposed to love or accept evil. Amen. There you go. Because what they're trying to roll out, what he's trying to explain with his new humanity, believing in a new humanity. Uh, Pastor Langford, uh, Paul McGuire, Pastor Paul Begley, we've all talked about this in recent episodes, that there is no man that is uh, that is good except Jesus Christ, who came in the flesh, died, was crucified, resurrected for all sins of all men. But by now, our works, we're not worthy of heaven. There is no new humanity. I mean, there is no good humanity. Right, right, right. Do not believe in a new good humanity because God is the only thing that is good. Humans are inherently bad. And, and that is because we have been fallen uh, by the sin nature that has yes. uh, been handed down to us. And that is why we are redeemed by Jesus and by uh, his uh, sacrifice that he gave so that all can be saved. But the Pope goes on to say, um, as he was visiting the 72nd anniversary of, of the Warsaw, um, uh, and, and the, he visited Auschwitz, um, talking about, he was referring uh, back to the Poland invasion, uh, the Polish invasion by Germany in 1939. The, Germany, the, the Ger- German invasion of Poland, that's correct, yes. But he said, um, as he was <clears throat> visiting this, he says, you know, you need to believe in this new new humanity, Yep. and that, you know, we need to, uh, where's the quote here again, about the evil, we need to um, be loving. Yeah, God demands of us real courage, the courage to be more powerful than evil. That's not accurate. But he goes on to say, by loving everyone, even our enemies. Yes, we're supposed to to love our enemies. He goes on to say, people may judge you to be dreamers because you believe in a new humanity, one that rejects hatred between peoples, one that refuses to see borders as barriers, and can cherish its own traditions without being self-centered or small-minded, Francis told his flock of more than one million people. Now, Joe, now, people are going to take us to task. Why are you picking on the the Vatican? Why are you picking on the the Pope? Why are you picking on Catholics? And I want to make it I'm clear, not we're, we're not Catholics. picking on Catholics at all. And I'm picking okay. on the Pope because he's the 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 knucklehead who said this. <laughs> exactly. And and within it would be like a product just like my pastor there you go thank uh, you you know i had words with my pastor and i left my church right because the church conformed to the i mean should i be mad at gay people because they want to get married or should i get mad at the church because they allow it that's a great and folks that's a great point isn't it sin people are going to sin right should i be mad at the sin 
regardless of what it is, gay marriage was, was the example I just used. Should I be mad at the 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 gay couple who wants to get married, homosexual, or should I get should I get mad at the church that permits it? Yes. Then it, I should get mad at the church who permits it. Just like it, I mean, because if everyone stood up and said no, right? If I, if I you know came down here with a pile of drugs and started doing drugs, and and you didn't slap me around and you know call the police, you would be. Uh, enabling that sin you would be absolutely and so uh, i I guess a different way to look at this so we can love our enemies and i know as even as it comes out of my mouth i'm thinking in my head uh, um that's so hard to do and and it's a level you need to get at it's not something that will come to you overnight it's not something that i even can can believe in with a pure heart half the time (laughs) If yeah. that makes sense. No, it does make sense. But we need to clean. We we need to look. Look, I believe this. I believe that if we as Christians play our positions, act accordingly, act as Christians, be proactive, not be wimps, and to stand up for what we believe in, and to say no, not more, not anymore. You're, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna tolerate. There's a studio dog lady even getting in the in, right in on the cue. That's right. Again, is that the uh, Eric? Do you have the graphic for uh, the lady bark? Yeah, the lady bark. <laughs> it, actually, my my sister. No, you're not going to come in. My sister-in-law is visiting from uh, uh, Wisconsin. Yeah, with her two children, my wife and my sister-in-law and her two children coming in to the studio. Yes, you want to be on camera? The you show. Be on camera. The show's wrapping up, and we're getting the company. No, no. But uh, before actually, we close out, yeah, um, I want to cover this story because this is related to. What we see in this country, as we're told, we are xenophobic if yes. we call Islamic terrorist terrorism. Oh, horrible. Cedar Springs Christian Store. That's a store in Knoxville, Tennessee. Hmm. Now, the news, a newspaper has rejected an ad over the word Christian. The owners of a Christian bookstore in Knoxville, Tennessee were yep. dumbfounded after the news sentinel rejected their ad because it included an offensive word christian there it is lewis mcginnis and her family own cedar springs christian store they recently decided to close a second location of the store so they decided to place an ad in the classified section of the newspaper which is owned uh by gannett now I mean, couldn't you put anything in a classified section? Well, you know, I've seen, yes, yes, the answer is yes, but I think we should just flood the, I think we should flood that newspaper with letters, calls, and and just. see, what they did, and the way they did it was even worse. Now, they put this ad on July 26th, they placed the ad, it was supposed to run on July 28th, but when they opened up the newspaper, the ad was nowhere to be found. They called the newspaper, spoke with the classified ad employee. She said our ad did not run because it contained an offensive word. She asked me, uh, or she told me. I asked what that offensive word was, and she said the offensive word was Christian. She said the new Sentinel did not notify her in advance that the ad had been rejected, nor did they call her to say that they were refunding her money. We had no way of knowing they considered the word Christian offensive until we tried to place this ad, she told me. As Christians, this is a slap in the face to us, she added. So the bookstore decided to tell their customers what happened in a very clever Facebook posting. It was simply titled, Do You Think the Word Christian is Offensive? Let's just say the good church-going folks of East Tennessee lit up the telephones, and it wasn't long afterwards that the Knoxville News Sentinel addressed the issue. They offered up one heaping 
helping of an apology for any misunderstanding about the new sentinel stance on Christianity. We had a system failure, which the resulted failure. in a classified ad for Cedar Springs storage getting hung up on, or getting hum, hung up in our front end system. Oh. They wrote in a statement posted online. You know what and it was? The, we corrected the technology issue in our system, and the ad is now running for an extended period you at no that? extra charge. And for the record, the newspaper does not have a problem with Jesus. Oh, okay. So, y- y'all you buying see that? This, what this is? This is an employee. Yep. Who has a problem? With there Jesus? you go. I wonder and if that could be Muhammad, uh, whatever. I mean, if this were the other way around, if this was a Christian employee who had a problem with the Muslim... They would be getting fired, sued. Care the Council on American Islamic Relations. They would be in Guantanamo Bay right now. I'm telling you. But it's crazy. I will say at least the newspaper corrected it and went a step further making the statement the newspaper does not have a problem with Jesus because Jesus wasn't mentioned in the initial ad. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? So maybe there is some good at that newspaper there. Or maybe it's a CYA in this, the the wording there is. Yeah, cover your, yeah, rear. Folks, I want to thank you so much for joining us tonight. Tomorrow, Steve Quayle, Ross Powell, our number two, our three is going to be Standale. But folks, please, please, tonight, as soon as you're done, since we're done here, send an email to Steve Quayle. Happy birthday. Send him email wishes. Birthday wishes. Happy mm-hmm. birthday to Steve Quayle, who is, I think, um, I, I think he just turned 48. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. But folks, thanks for joining us tonight. 